does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Those the voices of the brand new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts in Shane Steichen of DeForest Buckner, one of the defensive stalwarts of this team. Yesterday was kind of the first media session where everybody was back in the room together. But obviously, there is still a uh, a few pieces that will be added all of two weeks from now. And of course, the one big piece that everything else kind of depends on and that is what are the Colts going to do at the number four position? We have all assumed quarterback, and I'm not here to tell you that I feel any differently about it, that it needs to be a QB. But that's the way we start our program today. It is the Fan Midday Show. I am your substitute teacher, albeit I'm filling in for nobody. We just have a rotating chair of people that sit down and talk to you or look into the camera. For those of you watching on the YouTube, Twitter feed, whatever the case may be, my name is Greg Rakestraw. Thank you so much for joining us, and what another wonderful weather day in central Indiana we have for you. Now, this is the first time in three days that I have not been doing a live sporting event this evening, so I tend to care the weather um, this time of year, checks calendar. Do I have an outdoor sporting event? No, I don't care what the weather is today. I will simply be able to go home and enjoy it with my son when I get home at about 3.30 or so. Between now and then, we are yapping on the telephone lines at 317-239-1070. Interacting with you on Twitter, at Greg Rakestraw there. You can even old school email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. And uh, during the course of the breaks, I may just interact with you on the YouTube chat. And again, for those of you on radio, you won't get the site gig. But for those of you watching uh, the feed right now, this is a Danville baseball hat that I am rocking. Had a chance to do a game at Danville yesterday. Thank you, O'Neill, for the lid. And I am also thankful that you have a bucket size hat uh, that I can wear because I have like a size eight head. I mean, literally, when Mike Myers and So I Married an Axe Murder talked about the things the size of Sputnik, he was talking about the dome that I have got. So if you're wondering about the lid that I am wearing, there you go. All right, now, on the guest docket for today, Trish Whitaker will be joining us. You may remember her from CBS4. I can't believe it has been four and a half years since she last worked in the Indianapolis market. These days, she is best known for her work with the Tampa Bay Rays and their television network. She also was part of the Apple TV Friday Night MLB package. Um, her team that she covers is one win away from the best start in Major League Baseball or tying that mark since 1900. So not often do I um, you know, start with Tampa Bay Rays conversation here in Indianapolis. So if there is a time to do it, we have hit that time. And I'll talk more about that coming up in just a matter of moments. But Trish Whitaker will be joining us. The Rays are 12-0. They play at 110. And so thankfully, Trisha was kind enough to carve some time out of her schedule early in the show. So we can talk to her, catch up with her, and talk about that team. That's at 1230. At 1 o'clock, Dustin Dopirak just got done with his first season, largely on the Indiana Pacers beat. Obviously, nothing from a Pacers perspective 
is going to change from now until the draft lottery. Jimmy Cook, who is welcome to crack a lack the microphone at any point in time, and he and I will interact on a more uh, longer form basis coming up in just a few minutes. But here is the first of many homework assignments for you on the program today. I'm ready. Could you look up when the NBA draft lottery is? I would imagine it's sometime around like May 10th, May 17th, somewhere in that vicinity, normally during like the first or second round of the playoffs is when that happens, because that is the date in which the next kind of domino falls for the Indiana Pacers because of the power of his own brain and the internet. James already has this information. The draft lottery will be when? May 16th. I, within a day, I get a lot yep. of credit for that, don't I? You do. You do. Nerd Gold star. alert yep. right here for pulling that one for you. So literally, today is April the 13th all day long. We're five weeks away from the NBA draft lottery. So nothing will change from an Indiana Pacers perspective between now and then. So obviously, we will talk... Some about the Pacers now, because we're four days removed from the end of the season. First time I have been in this chair since that happened. So we'll get Dustin's take on exactly what were the positives, exactly what are the negatives, defense, and what the roster moves will look like, because the Pacers are in a very unique situation. They have three first-round draft picks. Right now, they are slotted, depending on coin flips, to have the seventh or eighth best draft odds to get the number one pick the next time in the true lottery format not just frozen envelopes for the next 85 for patrick ewing but like in the ping pong ball format the pacers really have never moved up the pacers have never bumped up to that top three now, let's face it most years they've not been in the draft lottery and then in the years they have been in the draft lottery they picked like 10th 11th 12th 13th whatever the case may be remember how big of a deal we made about having the sixth pick last year so, so not much is going to change between now and then. But the Indiana Pacers have 12 players under contract for next year. And like all guys that you're like, hey, there, there might be a future because they're so young. You know, the exceptions would be Buddy Heald, Daniel Tice, and again, T.J. McConnell's got two more years left on his deal. But because of Tyrese Halliburton, because of... Andrew Nemhard, all of a sudden now, even though TJ's been great as an Indiana Pacer, are you potentially moving on from him? So we'll talk about what pieces Dustin might expect to see the Pacers move during the course of the offseason. You know, Kevin Pritchard has this reputation of being a wheeler and dealer. His hands been kind of forced. He's had to make major deals because of the wishes of Paul George and Victor Oladipo here. But are you trying to bundle, depending on what your draft lottery status is, are you trying to bundle some picks and move up knowing you don't really need a scattershot approach? You need like one dude. Like you feel pretty good about where you are at three or four positions. You kind of need one guy. You kind of need a four. You can always use more shooting. You kind of need a defender. Because as a friend of mine pointed out to me in a text, he shared the social media graphic from a couple of days ago about the Pacers. I think the exact number was 9,735 points. Franchise record for points scored in a season. They didn't exactly tweet out the fact this is also the, the worst defense they've ever had. And they gave up a franchise record number of points this year, too. 
So we'll talk about that with Dustin coming up during the 1 o'clock hour of the show. You've already heard the voices of Shane Steichen and Quiddy Pay on the program. Not Quiddy Pay. You heard DeForest Buckner. We're going to have Quiddy Pay on the program. There we go. Quiddy is going to call us up at about 1.30. We'll talk about what the first week, you know, uh, you know, back has been like. We'll talk about how his offseason has been. And he made strides from year one to year two. Now, how does he improve from year two to year three? And what his expectations are for this football team, again, knowing it's kind of an incomplete team right now. Because you just don't know what that number four pick is going to hold. You just don't know what that early second round pick is going to hold. Because those are guys that need to be impact players likely right away for this football team. And obviously at the quarterback position. So Quiddy will be joining us. And Mark James, the radio voice of the Indy 500, radio voice of the IndyCar series. IndyCar is in Long Beach. And obviously you will hear Sunday's race right here on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. And other than the appearance by Trisha, those three guests that I just rattled off that will join us at 1, 1.30, and at 2 o'clock, that's almost kind of like checking off the boxes, like hitting a checklist. Like, all right, let's talk Pacers. Something that if we don't do 12 months a year, we're likely doing 9, 10 months out of the year here on the radio flagship for the Indiana Pacers. Colts, and by a bigger, you know, scope, the National Football League, that's 24-7, 365, especially on a station that is the home of the Indianapolis Colts and a voice yapping at you that is part of the Colts radio network. Shouldn't be surprised. Um, Mark Janes, again, we carry every IndyCar race. And obviously, the month of May, with no Pacers playoffs, well, if there are 24 hours in a day, we will do like 27 or 28 hours in a day of Indianapolis 500 month of May coverage. And I would assume that nightly editions of Beyond the Bricks and of Trackside with Cabot and Kevin, my guess would be that would start around Monday, May the 8th. Jimmy, that sound about right to you? Mm-hmm. Likely when the programming yeah. calendar is going to kick in. So. Okay, so and I and I and I put those out there from a calendar standpoint because we're two weeks away from the National Football League draft. We're four days away from, or four days removed, I should say, from the end of the Indiana Pacers season. Yes, there's NBA playoffs. Now there's none tonight. And pardon me, I'm getting it all ratcheted up for the nine ten games. I kind of treat those last night. A lot like the play-in games in Dayton on Tuesday and Wednesday before the NCAA tournament. They're nice and all, and let's face it, we kind of cared last year when Indiana was playing in one of those games. But for the most part, we tend to go, hey, the NCAA tournament starts on a Thursday at noon, despite the fact that four games were played. We've cared about the 7-8 or 9-10 games in years gone by, two years ago when the Indiana Pacers I won the 9-10 game and then lost the 8-9 game a couple of nights later in Washington, D.C. So I may have given Pelicans and I've even forgotten whom they were playing, the team that beat them, the Thunder. There we go. was a great game. It was really good to fall asleep to about 11.45 last night. I'm like, oh, yeah, game's on. Snore. So no playoffs tonight. Um, so I'm not sure how much NBA playoffs I feel compelled to talk with you on the program today. And then we've got month of May stuff that, yes, from a calendar standpoint, the month of May is uh, 18 days away. 
in Indianapolis terms, the month of May is about 25 days away. Because the month of May in Indianapolis is anywhere between 21 to 24 days long. And you all know, everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody from outside of Indianapolis is like, what in the world are you talking about? You're from here? Yep, sounds right to me. And Jimmy's smiling, thinking about it because he gets it too. So the reason I give you this big, long, rambling preamble to start the show is, Jimmy, you are here most every day, either in a producer role, a co-host role, and largely a combination of the two. What has been the dominant topic on the show this week? What has been the thing with a variety of hosts, Will Haskett, Scott Agnes, I'm your first non-North Central co-host of <laughs> yeah. the week, by the way. Nothing against the wonderful place where my daughter will be going to school in a couple of years in Washington Township. Uh, but uh, no hail to the Panthers from me. We'll save that for Query it's in the refreshing. morning show. It's refreshing. It really You're is. You're welcome. <laughs> um, what, what's been the dominant topic on the show this week? I know this is going to surprise you and surprise yeah. the listening Because audience. I know Will led with with, with uh, soccer, which completely threw me <laughs> off guard when I was on on Monday. He, he caught me off yeah. guard as well. The dominant talk has still been what is going to happen at four for the Colts. Of course it is. And which quarterback can you find the most tea leaves and most nuggets to this point to figure out if there's any type of lean. Oh, wait, Chris Ballard and company keeping the cards very close to the vest. Good luck. Right. But that's been the conversation. And we have been having that conversation probably in earnest. You could say to some degree for the last three months. I really think that that conversation ramps up kind of after the combine yeah like the combine being here really kind of picks up the pace on that conversation and it's not like you know richardson's numbers you know there was this ground so hey he's moving up hey he's moving up hey he's moving up (laughs) and obviously the other factor that kind of fast forwarded the conversation was the bears in one sense, I thought prematurely, but I'm not sure they're going to get a better offer than Carolina gave them. But again, once that trade happened and you go, okay, you're not getting to one. Houston's not trading with you. You're not getting to two. Now, all of a sudden, for the last five or six weeks, we've kind of been like, okay, Levis, Richardson, do you dare trade down and, and go for Hendon Hooker? Do you simply say Minshew and Ellinger this year and knowing that Yes, there are likely four quarterbacks going one, two, three, four this year. There are thought to be better quarterbacks next year. Do you dare trade down, which is certainly in the Chris Ballard DNA, and get more pieces? And I literally can hear people screaming at their car radios right now with that thought. So I guess I say it with this. This is part of creatively, when I used to have an office down the hall, (laughs) We go, okay, how do you keep the conversation going? Because much like I said, hey, we've kind of been, the Pacers in the same spot for the next five weeks. Well, from a Colts conversation standpoint, we've kind of been in the same spot for the last five or six weeks. And it's, it is, you're a little young for this, but you tend to be an old soul. It is Ted Knight in Caddyshack. Okay. Well, we're We're waiting. waiting. Yep. That's kind of where we all are (laughs) with 14 days left to go. So how do we advance the conversation, Mr. Cook? Well, how we tried to advance it yesterday, and props to J.J. Stankovic because he, he put it He's a phenomenal. little bit more eloquently uh, than you know, the argument I was trying to make. I would argue it's more dangerous if you're in the camp of people screaming at the car radio when Greg was talking about the idea of them trading back or not taking one of these two QBs. I am not in favor of that. I know you're not. I'll, I know I'll you're not. Yeah, I want to save you yep, there. I appreciate that. Yep. Uh, I 
prefer Richardson over Levis. I've made that pretty clear. But the larger point of advancing the conversation is it's arguably more dangerous, regardless of which quarterback you like or don't like, to take a swing just for the sake of taking a swing. Sure. When you could set the franchise back five years that way. Yep. Versus either taking a generational defensive talent, if you see it that way, with Jalen Carter or Will Anderson Jr. at four. I want, I want nothing to do with Jalen Carter after the last couple right. of months. Sure, sure. Yep. Fair and enough. Again, I'm not saying you do. Just again, just using him as an yep. example. Yep. Whether you want to trade back and take Hennon Hooker yep. or whether you want to trade back in general and get draft capital to your point because there's better quarterbacks next year. Right. I know it's not what Colts fans want to hear, but right. if you get the instant gratification that our society loves so much sure. now, you take Levis or Richardson and they don't pan out. Yep. I mean, I know you have to take a swing at some point, but if Ballard really doesn't believe in him and he has Jim Mercer's blessing, don't take him. We are all screaming. I should we, meaning the <laughs> general populace, and frankly, those that cover the team, and even some people, me, they get a paycheck from the team sure. to cover the team. <laughs> and even I'm like, oh, for the love of all things good and pure, do not trade back and please draft a quarterback. You know, the 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 only time, and I have now been, you know, I've been in town for three decades. I have had some role in covering the team for the better part of the last 25 years. There's my old man moment for the day. If I want another one, I'll take this hat off and show you the top <laughs> of my head to those of you that are watching um, on the YouTube and, and, and Twitter feed. But there was only one time where, like, literally there were gasps and what is he doing? And the initials WTF were, 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 were used frequently. And the Colts picked at four, and the guy that was picked just got put in the Hall of Fame. And that was Edger and James. I mean, there have been times where, you know, you have said, hey, shouldn't they have addressed this? You know, and maybe to some degree you could say two years ago when it was quitty pay taken as a defensive end, and it wasn't an offensive tackle that was taken by Chris Ballard and company. But let's face it, there is a different microscope. There is a different level of... Um, concern, attention, etc. When you're drafting around 20, instead of when you are drafting where there is a single digit involved. And again, for a history lesson, for some of you that are, well, Jimmy's age, quarterbacks went one, two, and three in 1999. And it was thought, hey, Ricky Williams at four. My God, here's the Indianapolis Colts. They didn't really have an identity for a good chunk of their first 15 years. And now we got Peyton Manning at quarterback. And we got Ricky Williams at running back. And oh boy, we're going to be great. And Bill Polian takes Edger and James. And Edger and James was, he's the guy with the dreads, right? He had a big <laughs> game for Miami at the end of the season against UCLA, like 200 something yards. And they beat UCLA when they're going to go to a, to the, to the playoff game. And, but he, he's not Ricky Williams just set the rushing record. He's not Ricky Williams. Well, Edger and James worked out okay. Now, Bill Polian's got a little more of a track record in history, both before he made that pick and after he made that pick than Chris Ballard does. So, yes, for as much as so many of us, and I say us because I am included, I want to have the quarterback of the future taken at three or taken at four by the Indianapolis Colts. And much like Jimmy, I am of the... I know there are some flaws in Richardson's game, but as you are going through the uh, the sexiness of the draft prospect and, and process, you go, the size, the speed, the arm strength, give me all of that. Yes. 
So yes, I tend to be on uh, on the on the uh, on on Camp Richardson of that group. Nothing against Will Levis, and, and again, this is frankly ignorant on my part. I will admit that. Part of me has a hang-up going, hey, name me the last quarterback in the University of Kentucky that was an impact player in the National Football League. I think it was Derek Ramsey who was a tight end for the New England Patriots. He was a quarterback in the 70s at Kentucky. George Blanda played at Kentucky. If i got to go back that far, <laughs> like I, I think they had a guy named Woodson that was a backup in the National Football League for a while. Am I missing anybody? Anybody out there in the Twitter sphere? Am I missing anybody? So, again, that shouldn't be the basis of how you rate a quarterback, but in my mind, I'm having a tough time getting past that. If it's Levis at four, if Richardson's off the board, or if the Cardinals for some reason don't trade their pick and they take a Will Anderson, which is one of the mock drafts seemingly have them doing, and you've got your choice, I'd rather be Richardson. But if they take Levis, okay, fine. Now let's go see what happens with this football team. Yeah, look, I've said the, the same thing to Levis's regard. Like, I'm not a fan of his, but – just because I'm critiquing him or being critical of him, I want to see him succeed if that's the Colts quarterback that's taken. I want to see what he's got and Absolutely. want to give him the fair opportunity. I just, I think about, and this is a bad example because the Colts aren't quite in this realm of manure, but you look at other franchises that have been quarterback needy for the last 10, 15, 20 years, and the Colts, again, aren't in that boat, but it's starting to feel like it with eight years of new quarterbacks under center week one. How often of those talk radio shows in those cities had these same conversations? Right. Oh, this guy's can't miss. We can't pass on this quarterback. I don't want the Colts right. to fall into that hole. I Again, it's clear these are the top four quarterbacks, and it's clear because the quarterback needs always get superseded. It's amazing how it works. If you're picking in the top five or six picks, usually you have a question mark at quarterback. Sure. You know, it's it's remarkable how that plays out, isn't it? And it's not remarkable at all, <laughs> the narrator said. By the way, Mitch jumps on. <laughs> I talked about quarterbacks from Kentucky. I am forgetting Tim Couch. He was the number one pick in the draft. Didn't work out so well, did it? States Exhibit A for me uh, on that front, despite the fact that was now 20-plus years ago. He would have been in the 99 draft, taken by the Cleveland Browns with their first pick back. That's uh, one of those manure teams I was talking about in terms of quarterback success. Sure, there you go. Um, Turn so, back the tape to Tim Couch Talk Radio when that think, pick was made. I, th- I think part of, part of what I want for uh, and, and what I'm desiring for is I just want the guy in place. And again, the bar is so ridiculously high when your last two first-round draft picks have been from a quarterback position have been Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. Yes, those were generational talents. Yes, those are guys taking the number one position. This is different. You're going to get the third or fourth quarterback off the board. And no one is saying that any of these four guys are Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck. But part of it is, is I just want the next guy in place. I want the plan. I want the process. And so if the process is delayed by, say, another year, I'm not a fan of that. The other thing that I would say, too, is this, is that even though the last eight years have not gone the way that we had hoped or had grown accustomed to, in terms of, what is it, two playoff berths, one playoff win, no divi- that's the marker, no division championship since 2014. 
when everybody else in what is considered to be a weaker division at least has two. So that's kind of the parameters that we have set in terms of when we say the last eight years. That's kind of the reason why a lot of us that talk about the team or care about the team tend to look at it from, from that point of view. Um, I just want the plan in place. So whomever that guy is, and, and when I would do interviews in February and March, you know, I would you you would almost hear me say this verbatim. I wasn't giving you like a ringing endorsement on Young or Stroud or Richardson or Levis. I was for the Colts moving up to one, so they got their guy, the guy that you want, because there are positive traits in all those players. There are negative traits in all those players, and I I'm I'm not. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Not the guy, I'm not Rick Venturi, okay? I'm not pouring through thousands of hours of footage so I can name you Geist Reservoir All-Star. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm the guy that tends to be able to go to training camp and say, hey, this guy's playing in front of this guy. This guy is the one that is winning his matchups here. This is the guy that I think is a difference maker. Sure. That tends to be my level of expertise and my level of knowledge and my level of conversation. So I can't sit here and tell you, man, I'm behind Anthony Richardson because I think he's at the highest ceiling of all four players. Now, if you're asking me to pick four, I probably tend to go with the guy that that won at the highest level, even if he is the shortest in stature. I'd say Bryce Young is my guy because I think he's the one that I know, you know, I've, I've got the most confidence in. But knowing where the Colts are sitting at four and they could have the third or fourth pick of a quarterback, if I had my, jo- if I had my druthers, I'd pick Richards. If literally some combination of... Stroud, Young, Richardson, not necessarily in that order, come off the board. Then I'm like, okay, let's go with Will Levis just because I'm ready for the process to start. After going through three veterans, and I understand the logic behind all of those moves the last three years, all of them, last two didn't work out. It happens that it happens sometimes like that. But after that process, give me the first round pick. Give me the guy that you think is the leader of this franchise for the next five 10, 15 years. That's what I'm rooting for to happen. 14 plus days away. With that, we will come back to Colts conversation with Quiddy Pay at about 1.30. A little baseball talk because wouldn't today be a great day for a matinee getaway game? Like yesterday, the Indianapolis Indians had a baseball and education day at 11 a.m. That would have been perfect. Uh, this would be... This would be a great day. I'm not sure. Are the Reds are the Reds are in Atlanta today or off there, right? They were in Atlanta earlier this week. So this is not the day for like half of Indiana to drive down I-74 to Great American Ballpark for a 1235 start. Uh it'd be a great day weather-wise, but I don't think they're actually playing at home today. 640 at home. Thank you very much. I didn't know much. that either. Appreciate oh, that. Um, but it's no day game. It just feels good to talk about matinee baseball, right? So let's talk about a team that plays nothing but indoor games. The Tampa Bay Rays, they haven't lost yet this year. And they have a friend on the broadcast crew. You know her as well, Trisha Whitaker. She'll join us next. It's the Fan Midday Show. I'm filling in for someone here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
It is the Fan Midday Show. Greg Rakestraw, your substitute teacher for the day on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And I will admit to you, when the baseball season started a couple of weeks ago, it had my attention. But I'm a Reds fan, so I have moved on to other things. But I specifically remember as a kid, I remember the Reds went 10-0 one year, and that led to a World Series championship, the last one for us Reds some 33 years ago. I hope... For our next guest's sake, a similar thing happens when your team starts 12-0. and 0. You remember her from her days on CBS4. She is on the faculty at Indiana University, but she's probably best known for her work with the Tampa Bay Rays and with Apple TV, and you heard the laughter in the background. That is Trisha Whitaker that joins <laughs> us. Hello, my friend. How are you? Oh, I missed those intros from you. I'm wonderful. How are you doing? I am doing great. Like I said, our weather is South Florida-like for three or four days, so we're all bragging about it here in central Indiana. Just like you should be bragging about your baseball team. So let's, let's start with this. What were the expectations for this group going into the season? Well, you know, Greg, they were high, but not this. I mean, like, that's the crazy thing about it. I was interviewing our hitting coach yesterday, and I said – are you running out of words to describe what they're doing right now? And he was like, you know what, Trish? Yes, I am. He was like, we expected them to come out hot because we knew the lineup we had and we knew, obviously, the starting rotation is just sick. But he was like, nobody expected this. I mean, they're 12-0, and and do not come at me, anyone, with, oh, they haven't played anybody. Not true. If you have ever played a competitive sport in your life, you know how hard it is to go undefeated for two weeks to start the season. These are major league baseball teams. I understand that the Tigers and the Athletics are not good teams this year. The Red Sox, eh, not very good team. Not a very good team either. But um, they have just blown us all kind of out of the water. We couldn't have expected this home run party to start the season. Obviously, as part of your job and being around the team for as long as you have been now, you get to know these guys pretty well. There is not a more superstitious lot than baseball players because you have both the athletic factor and, frankly, some downtime during games, before games, etc. So is this group trying to adhere to the same routine with everything they are doing right now? Absolutely. And you know that annoying cliche phrase that like everybody uses where they're like, oh, it's we're O and O every single day, no matter what the record is. They're actually really encapsulating that right now. They're not a group that gets too high or too low. And that's a reflection of Kevin Cash, um, their manager. He doesn't get too high and he doesn't get too low. I mean, ever like they're on a 12 game winning streak. And yes, he's proud of what they're doing, but um, they they don't get too high and they don't get too low. And that's that's what's good about them is that they're even keeled and Also, they have the confidence right now of just being fully healthy. Last season, they were not fully healthy, and that hurt them. When you're rolling out a AAA lineup for months at a time (laughs) in the AL East, that's damn near impossible. Um, And their top hitters were hurt for months at a time. Um, So right now we're seeing a team fully healthy and coming in every day not paying too much attention to the undefeated record, but but knowing what they're doing and being proud of it. This is obviously a team and a franchise that has learned how to do more with less. They seemingly restock, reload. It might be, you know, different names and faces. And obviously, other than you, the guy who had my attention the most because he's an Indiana guy and I covered him as a high school athlete. I know Kevin Kiermeyer is now elsewhere. Was there a lot of changes in the offseason or is this largely the same group, seemingly albeit more healthy, than you had? a year ago 
You know, this is largely the same group, Greg. I mean, obviously the Kevin Kiermeyer departure was sad, but they've got Jose Siri in center field who can make some incredible plays out there, and he's been hitting the ball to start the season. Um, but this is largely the same group. That's the nice thing about it. There's so much continuity this year, and they all know how to play together. Um, and the bullpen, there's been zero turnover there. The starting rotation, they added Zach Eflin, but he's been a fantastic add to that rotation. But I, I love that you bring that up because that is such a key to what they're doing right now. They have the same guys. They know how to play together. Their pitchers trust their defense and the offense um, is just on fire. Again, Trish Whitaker, our guest, Greg Rakestraw, The Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Again, it seems like a natural because you're not working for the Rays, you're working for Apple TV, so literally as soon as this game is over this afternoon, you're catching a flight and going to a different destination on Friday. Your center fielder has a last name of Siri. Please tell me you've worked in some jokes about this already the first two weeks of the season. You know what, Greg, is really funny is every time we say Jose Siri, it'll it'll trigger our phone. Yep. You know, because it'll be like, what do you need? And it's been caught on air multiple times in the booth with the guys <laughs> because they'll say it and it'll it'll pop up. But, yeah, we've worn that joke to the ground. You know how it is when you've got a player on your team and you just wear that joke. 129, you just wear that joke to the ground. Apple TV's favorite player, I'm sure. Uh, no, no, no doubt about that. All right, yeah, so absolutely. obviously this has been a situation where we've talked about the facility, empty seats despite success. So it's always trying to carve out, you know, this team's niche in Southwest Florida. What has been the fan base's response to this amazing first two weeks of the season? They've been really excited, and when our producer sent us our ratings yesterday, I was, like, floored. Our ratings here are usually very good because people down here just love baseball. Sure. Um, sure. And, and they're, they're very good, but recently in this undefeated streak – They've been amazing, um, and people are showing up to the park. Obviously, you know, you'll always say you, you, we would like more people to show up to the park. That's for sure. But um, they have been showing up, and, and it's been really fun. The fans that, that have come, you would like to see more because this team is doing something historic, and they're going to continue to do incredible things throughout the season. So we would like to see more people show up to the park. But the ones that have shown up, They've been great. I mean, it, it's the attendance actually to start the season, I should say, has been very strong. Um, but how could it not be when you're undefeated like this? All right. Who is – because the, the Rays always produce somebody that people have not heard of, and all of a sudden this guy blows up. Who is the player that maybe most don't know about that's been awfully good these first couple of weeks? Luke Rayleigh. Probably nobody in Indiana has probably ever heard that name. That's that's very likely. <laughs> the Rays did not go out and get a left-handed bat this offseason, and that was a really big talking point, right? A lot of people were like, well, they didn't do anything to improve their lineup. Well, they have Luke Rayleigh, and they have Josh Lowe um, as their left-handed guys in that lineup, and they have been performing to start the season. So he's a guy that I would say keep an eye on him because he's been hitting the ball out of the park, too, and been so productive for them and really, you know, a pleasant surprise. Again, Trish Whitaker, our guest. I know she's busy. A couple quick things, and then we will let her go. How long have you been now a part of the Tampa Bay Rays broadcast? This is my fifth season. No way. No. I know. I know. I left Indy at the end of 2018. Yeah. And uh, this is my fifth season. It's wild. I feel like I just left yesterday. (laughs) But again, for those that don't know, and I reference this off the top of the interview, uh, Trish has dual citizenship status, both in Florida. She's like a reverse snowbird. She comes back after the baseball season because you were on the faculty at Indiana University, correct? 
Absolutely, Greg. I wouldn't miss that for the world. I love my students. I'm kind of obsessed with the media school in Bloomington. So, yeah, I do come back in the off season. I come back near the end of October, and I teach a second eight-week course at the IU Media School. It's a sports broadcasting course. So we've had about, let's see, in the last three weeks, we've had three media school students get full-time jobs all around the country, and that's kind of a norm now for them. It's just amazing what they're doing at the media school. I, I just I could talk forever about it, but I love coming back because that's home. And actually, Greg, I'm going to be back this weekend um, in Bloomington because uh, I am doing Apple TV in Detroit, and then I'm meeting the Rays in Cincinnati, so I'm making a pit stop on Saturday in Bloomington to see my parents. Just, in, just in time for the weather to turn the opposite direction. Uh, hey, so what, what are we doing here? Yes, that's not okay. <laughs> now, do, do, do you get to rub elbows now with Mike Wells when you're in Bloomington these days? I do. Mike and I always try to have breakfast together at our favorite spot, Uptown Cafe. He's the best. He's He's been such an asset to that media school since he started teaching full-time there. I can't think of a better writer for them to learn from who's been there and who's done that. He's awesome, and and I just I love Mike. He's like a brother to me. Now, I'm giving Wellesie an award as part of what I do with the uh, Indiana Sports Writers and Sportscasters Association. Can you ensure that, like a true professor, when he wears a sport jacket to get this award on Sunday he's got elbow patches on can you help me out with that yes I will ensure that I also would like to have a picture of that I'm gonna need a picture proof of that I will do I'll do my best if this was Chris Hagan he would call her Patricia I'm not so I won't Trish Whitaker kind enough to join us Rays and Red Sox coming up at 110 I know you are busy thank you so much for the time safe travels it's great to catch up with you Anytime, Greg. You guys are the best. I appreciate you. And my time in Indy was just it was just some of the best time of my life. So, And you guys were a huge part of that. I was thinking about this. And by the way, if you ever heard Trish on the air, she would fill in times I'm her and Hagen together. It's like a married couple fighting. It was really good radio. But clearly, Trish is doing other great things. And the fact that she's working with Apple TV on Fridays tells you that uh, kind of how well her work is respected around Major League Baseball. I knew it had been a few years because I remember talking to Trisha um during the pandemic and that's very much you know gig economy and so when your season's not starting until july and then you can't be around the players how exactly do you do your job as like the the sideline the dugout the feature reporter however you want to phrase what that third person is you know in, in a major league baseball broadcast um, and so I, I knew it had been at least four years, but yeah, five years since Trisha has been down there. So yes, the Rays are 12 and O. Uh, they are hosting the Red Sox today at 110, one of two afternoon games today in Major League Baseball athletics and uh, cute fella as Jay Query would say the Orioles, the other afternoon game that is taking place today. The other best starts since 1900. And, it, and this is just it shows you. How crazy baseball is in terms of when you know when you get a team that gets to 100 wins, that is something to be celebrated because you just don't win the first 12 or 13 games out of the shoot. Well, it's happened like three times in the last 123 years. The other teams that have done that, the Atlanta Braves in 82 with Joe Torre as their manager, they won the AL East or the NL East that year to the Braves and lost the Cardinals in the National League Championship Series. The Milwaukee Brewers in their American League days, Teta Higuero, Juan Nieves, uh, Rob Deere, uh, they went 13-0 and then missed the postseason. They finished third in the AL East that year. I want to say the Tigers would have won the East 
in 87 because the Twins won the World Series. It's amazing how much of that mindless stuff you remember when you were like a kid, if you're a sports fan, because like the other parts of life haven't gotten in the way yet. So you immediately have those memories of who won what division some 36 years ago. The Rays are next at 12-0. and And as I cited it to start the interview, for some reason in my mind, I always had the Reds as being 10-0 and in their 1990 season when they went wire to wire, won the NL West, and won their last World Series championship, beating the Pirates in sixth and sweeping the Mighty A's in 1990. Reds were actually 9-0, not 10-0. And then the thing that I kind of knew but didn't exactly have the numbers directly in front of me, the Reds split their last 100. They were 50-50 and 50, the last 100 games. They started 20 games over 500 at 41-21, and 21, went 50-50 and 50 the rest of the way. They, were tw- they, were start- they won their first nine, They literally went 11 over 500 the remainder of the season from like the middle of April on. And that was enough in the NL West. No other team won more than 86 games in the NL West that year. And I I went back and looked and obviously I could I could give you chapter and verse because I was an eighth grader going into my freshman year of high school. So like peak baseball fandom. Girls were just starting to become a thing for me about that. Like my first steady girlfriend was and I just literally had a revelation on the air. My first city girlfriend would have been like a month after the Reds won the World Series. So, Jimmy, should I take a vow of celibacy? Should I live a monk-like existence for the rest of my life? Because Greg starts dating girls as I go third person. Reds haven't won anything since. Apparently, I'm the problem. I didn't think talking to Trisha Whitaker today would lead me to this conclusion less than 120 seconds later. So apparently the Reds are not going to win unless I go live like a monk someplace. I'm not sure I'm willing to make that sacrifice. I don't blame you. You're also a father, though, so it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle on, yeah, on any of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, i got to wait at least like 10. It's going to be another 10 years, you know. i got to make sure I'm taking, you know, son turns 18. I can, I can, go, I can go do that. Um, but yeah, the Reds. That year, four-man rotation. Now we all think about five-man rotations, just four. Tom Browning started 35 games for the Reds that year. The Reds probably won because they had four pitchers that had an ERA under 3-7. And, of course, the Nasty Boys. You got that game to the seventh inning. Game was over with. Charlton, Myers, Dibble. Really, it was Charlton, Dibble, Myers, usually, is the way that it went back then. No Reds player had more than 25 home runs that year and won the World Series. It's amazing how the world changes. And apparently, it's my fault that they haven't won, as I just concluded in my own mind since. We'll take this quick time out when we come back. We'll figure out something to talk about. 1 o'clock, Dustin DePirac of the uh, Indianapolis Star, talking all things Indiana Pacers. Colts defensive end, Quiddy Pay at 1.30. We'll talk IndyCar with Mark Jaynes at 2. Greg Rakestraw with you. Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Greg Rakestraw back with you. Fan Midday Show. I am back in this chair on Tuesday. Next time you will hear me on the radio station after, well, between now and 3 o'clock, I'll do my weekly Friday hit with Kevin and Quarry tomorrow at 8 a.m. Soccer Saturday at 9. The Indy 11, their only road match in terms of league action uh, for the month of April, is out in Orange County on Saturday night at 10. Uh, They are then back home for the next two Saturday nights for Monterey Bay, followed up by the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. And I'm planning to have to move the extent of my soccer conversation on the program today. For more, go to Soccer Saturday, Saturday morning at 9 a.m. here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We talked baseball with Trisha Whitaker in the last segment of the program. Um, Brief thoughts on baseball. Again, the shiny new toy. Baseball largely had my attention on opening day two weeks ago. I've been covering a lot of high school baseball for what I do with ISC. From a major league standpoint, it is official that time of the year it kind of blends into the background. It's like I've got free time and I'm flipping around. I may catch a game. What I will say is this. um, I love the rules changes. I love the elimination of the shift. I love the pitch clock. I love the limits on on how many times you can throw to first base. I love the fact that that has more teams running. I love the fact that games are shorter. These are all great things. And if you don't like it, you can go back to your yard, get off of mine, and yell about somebody getting off your lawn. So that's the end of my baseball conversation, at least for now. Um, I want to talk Pacers, just because we're going to do that in the next segment of the show with Dustin Dopirak. And I was going through this briefly earlier. Again, much like everybody else, while this Pacers team did not make the playoffs, they improved by 10 games. They clearly have numerous pieces in place. They obviously are going to have a stash of draft picks. One of those, at worst, is a top 10 pick. Maybe, just maybe... I finally get a little lottery luck and bump their way up. But instead of being in just general asset acquirement mode in terms of we'll take that pick, we'll take that pick, we'll take that young player that can't crack your rotation, but we think he can help ours, Aaron Neesmith, Jordan Wara being of that group. Now you're at a different stage of this. Where, yes, I think next year making the playoffs is very much not just a realistic expectation for this team, but it's frankly where they need to be. And I forget, I know all of the players had a an exit interview on Monday, and I forget which one said this, but basically said, listen, going from 25 wins to 35 wins, that ain't nothing. Going from 35 wins to 45 wins, we're having a different conversation. Didn't mean the Pacers couldn't do it. They said, hey, listen, it's, it's going to be a lot tougher to make that same level of improvement next year as this team made this season. But there is still intrigue, in fact, a lot of intrigue. And to me, what is more intriguing than even whom the Pacers are going to pick, and must have that same kind of position with the Colts for two more weeks, We'll have a lot better idea on the from the Pacers standpoint five weeks from now. Again, as we established earlier in the program, draft lottery is May 16th. But because that extension, Miles Turner is going to be here next year. And we now know that, again, I've said this for years, but this is what Miles Turner is. This is what he does. 
And now that seemingly the superstar mantle, I'm not sure if I ever said Miles is going to be a superstar, but now that unquestionably the face of the franchise is Tyrese Halliburton. That's the guy. Okay, that's the guy that everybody orbits around, not just because he's the point guard. That's the guy from a from a face standpoint, from a talent standpoint, from an all star standpoint. He is the guy. He's Mr. Indiana Pacer. Okay, that allows Miles to shift into a much more comfortable role. Miles, do what you do. Be a rim protector. Be a three point shooter. Space the floor. Protect the lane. And you've got Miles under contract for two more years of doing that. Benedict Matherin, is he a sixth man? Is he kind of a two guard? Is he a three? You know he's a scorer. You know he's a piece going forward. Tyrese Halliburton, already talked about him. Aaron Neesmith, he's a rotational piece. Jordan Wara, think he's a rotational piece. I think he largely kind of takes that role that O'Shea Brissett has played the last couple of years, which means that O'Shea has probably seen his time with the Indiana Pacers come to an end. Andrew Nemhard, clearly he's a rotational piece, likely as your backup to maybe he gets some time playing simultaneously with Tyrese Halliburton. But you've got question marks on, again, I'd keep Buddy healed. He made, what, 283 threes, I think, this past year. He played in like every game but two. I'm Again, I'm not sure he's there with you a couple years from now, but I think he's with you right now. Daniel Tice, meh. TJ McConnell, I'd hate to see him go, but I understand the thought of, hey, Halliburton is your point guard for a long time. Nemhard, your backup, and maybe even a two guard. I'm not mad if TJ McConnell's still on this roster next year. But I understand if maybe you say, you know what? That's actually a piece we can get an asset with. Because we're hoping that TJ McConnell is on a playoff team for the Indiana Pacers next year. And I can't sit here and say that I have studied the point guard depth charts of like the top 10 teams in the NBA. But I would think that one of those top NBA teams would say, you know what, T.J. McConnell's a guy we'd like to have as our backup. T.J. McConnell's a guy that we'd like to have as a guy that we're asking to play 20, 25 minutes a night, play a veteran role, play major minutes on a winning basketball team. He's a piece you could potentially move. Other guys like Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson and even Chris Duarte, those are guys that you could potentially move but I don't think you get that much back in exchange for them because of, frankly, as rookies, the low salaries that they are making. And again, I want to give Jalen Smith every opportunity to play and be successful because, again, he did something that was so unique and so different. He came back to the Pacers because of that weird way that that trade went down and kind of what is basically a loophole in the NBA salary cap where he came back to the Pacers. He kind of had to take less money than he would have if he had played someplace else. I kind of want to give him another. Again, you can't, you can't play him because it makes you feel good. You got to play him because you think he's a guy that's going to help you. But I want to give him the benefit of the doubt if possible. So I'm talking on both sides of my mouth there. I, I, I get that. 
But Sticks is in a unique situation. But you kind of think it's going to be one of here, Isaiah Jackson. Like I said, the Pacers are in a unique spot. They've got 12 players under contract for next year. And frankly, you would expect one of a George Hill, one of a James Johnson to be back. And that really makes it kind of, you know, 13 players that you kind of know, hey, these are barring a trade. This is what you got. And then you add on top of that three first round picks. So, so again, the Pacers made great progress, didn't reach their ultimate goal. I don't think they're far away, but I do think it's a very intriguing offseason for this team. We'll talk about with Dustin Dopirak when we come back. It's Greg Rakestraw with you, Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I am not one that likes to talk over Heavy D. I like to sit back like it's a piece of classical music and just listen in and enjoy and celebrate the man's entire catalog. It's Greg Rakestraw. It's hour number two of the Fan Midday Show with uh, yours truly filling in, taking his rotating turn in the wheel of guest hosts. I am back on this program on Tuesday. I'll try to make sure that one is better than this one. This segment will be fantastic, though, because we're joined by Dustin Dopirak of the Indianapolis Star. Hello, my friend. How are you? Doing well, Greg. I also want to send my respects to the great Heavy D. So I, I have the same thoughts on his entire catalog that you do. So I just want to make that clear as we're beginning this. So, we, yes. we are of the same age group uh, when yeah. it comes to our, our musical selections. Now, correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, this was largely your first year of professional beat because most of your experience had been with college athletics, correct? Um, mostly I did. Um, I, I did a year in Pittsburgh at DK Pittsburgh sports and I covered the Steelers and the pirates that year. Um, so this is the first time that I, well, actually, no, it's not. I covered the Steelers throughout, but, uh, so I, I have done it before, but this is the first time out here, the first time for a newspaper. Um, and the first time that I'm going to be covering the same beat for a second season, uh, you know, so unless something crazy happens, uh, but at least end the year, no one like it. You know, that year I knew I was going to move to Pirates. Uh, at the end of the Steelers season this year, I, you know, presumably will be on Pacers next year. So uh, it is different for the first year on NBA beat, um, but that was the only other previous year that I covered pro ball. So this was still a, a, a bit of a different uh, thing for me, for sure. So as a guy that, that has been around Butler, as a guy that's been around IU, what was it like to then be on an NBA beat? In other words, what are the things that just immediately jump out at you? There's obviously the difference in pay. There's obviously the difference in age. But things like the average person wouldn't think about. What struck you as you were on that beat for the first time? I think, well, I mean, particularly here, it's different. Um, because I, the, the way I viewed it was it, it's so it was so fast-moving and yet so slow in the same way, in the sense that, I mean, here, like, it, being used to covering IU, like, every every game is so big. You know, and not, not every game necessarily in November and December, but especially once you get into Big Ten play, I mean, there's sort of, there's time for build-up, and, and every game seems to have a, a sort of major, um, you know, sort of part in the, the narrative of the season, basically. And, and, and people are riled up about it, and people, like, uh, you know, just sort of get prepared for, okay, 3 o'clock Saturday, what time are they playing, what time are they playing, you know, next Sunday, whatever it is, where, you know, the NBA, there's just so many games that are coming at you so fast, and the narrative can sort of change so fast, and sort of everybody just sort of lets it, you know, I think from a fan's standpoint, there's not, like, nearly the same amount of 
like there's there's the same amount of interest, but it's sort of diluted by the number of games. Uh, I, I guess in, in that standpoint, so it's a little different, um, and you don't feel like you're just you're just running after news in the same kind of way. But I mean, I think just obviously what changes is you know you're used to college ball when they're sort of protected by sports information departments, and, and they're very you know and and the, there's different levels of that between Indiana and Purdue and Butler and, and other college uh, you know sports information departments to start with. Um, but when you got an open locker room every day and you can just go in there and talk, you know, that you're just there for an hour and 15 or for half an hour or whatever it is. And, you know, you're not necessarily, you don't even have to get something out of there every day. Sometimes you just go in and just talk to guys, you know, and, you know, off the record about stuff that you're not even thinking about writing about. Um, you know, that I think is sort of the different, the, the, the different deal of like when you, when you get an interview in um, or you're even around anybody in college, you feel like you've got to make the most of it because you don't know when you're getting them again. Uh, it's sort of like how protected they're going to be. Whereas the NBA, yeah, you just—I mean—you could talk to anybody whenever you want to, and you could not talk to anybody uh, because you go in there and just like, "Hey, I don't have anything today. I just want to talk to you about, you know, what you think about how your college team did last night. If you <laughs> watched that football game on Sunday, you know, stuff like that." And this group was a lot of fun with that because there are—they're just fun guys to talk to, honestly. I mean, I think um, what uh, a lot of the, you know, Kevin Pritchard has said, and uh, a lot of the coaches have said, this is one of the most fun teams they've been around, and which which is an interesting to say for a team that finished, you know, twelve games under five hundred. Um, yeah, that's rare. I think that people will remember being a part of this group, but they, they really did just have that much of a good time. Uh, they weren't as fully built as a roster as you need to be to really win something, but uh, it was a group that got, got along well, I and mean, it starts with Halliburton, but I mean, just everybody from, you know, the, the biggest stars, whatever that might be, however you might define that term with this group, um, was sort of guys that were easy to get along with, so it was easy for me, easy for media, and it was easy for them as teammates, uh, and for everybody that was around them. Um, so I thought that was particularly noticeable, just, um, you know, again, when you get to deal with these guys as people, as opposed to people that are sort of held behind a wall of, uh, you know, PR, it, it's it's different and interesting. And I think I've learned a lot about this team and where it can go on the basis of its chemistry. Who is your favorite pacer to have a conversation with, whether it's for a story or just to literally have a conversation with? Who Who is the most chatty Kathy with you from this team? <laughs> uh, I mean, I probably like... Chatty Cathy was probably TJ just because we're both Pittsburgh guys. Yeah. And so, you know, if we had nothing else to talk about, I would I would say, like, you know, what do you think about what the Pirates are doing? Or we, we talked about Kenny Pickett for a while. Um, but a lot of those guys, I mean, Chris Duarte was, was a funny guy. I really enjoyed talking to Chris. And Tyrese even, like, if you get Tyrese rolling, I mean, like, so we asked him, uh, you know, he, he said he'd only been a Packers fan for so long. I go, well, wait, what's the story there? Like, we, you know, you grew up in Oshkosh. What do you mean you want a Packers fan your whole life? And he goes, takes us through the entire sort of, of, uh, you know, sort of journey of his fandom, you know, starting with the Brett Favre era, changing direction and everything like that. Uh, you know, he became a, I think he became a Cowboys fan for a while, but then he's less that. And like now he's going to, you know, whenever the Packers are eliminated, he would for the 49ers now because Brock Purdy went to school with him and he got uh, Purdy's jersey for, um, you know, I think when they were going with, yeah. his, I can't remember if it was divisional or whatever, he, he got an authentic, um, you know, Brock Purdy jersey, uh, basically. So we talked about that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, those, those guys are all fun. Aaron Neesmith was another friend, fun guy to talk to. Isaiah Jackson. Um, I, 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 I got Andrew Nemhard going eventually. Buddy Heald, too. Buddy Heald's hilarious. I mean, he's out there. He's goofy. Um, and his, you know, accent, you can't tell what he's saying half the time. But he's funny, you know. And, and Buddy would ask me stuff, uh, you know, saying, like, hey, like, you know, Buddy one day came in and just asked me, okay, well, why, why'd you, why did you want to do this job? Like, how did you get into this? And he asked me for my whole story. Um, and that's Buddy. Buddy has he's he's again he's different. He's not like where, where Tyrese is really well. Um, 
well schooled if you will like Tyrese is ready to take on whatever you know he's ready to be a CEO when this thing is done uh, but he's just uh, you know he's just interested um, so they, it, it was a fascinating group of guys and, it was, and they were I, I, there wasn't anybody I didn't enjoy talking to uh, is what I would say. All right, so a few of those guys, and this is the nature of every professional sports locker room, and I hope players do this, but me as kind of an outsider looking in as a media guy, I always make it a point like the last week of the year kind of look around and saying, hey, this you know combination of human beings will never be together in the same room because things always change. So guys mm-hmm. like TJ McConnell and Buddy Heald are, to me, important pieces of this team but they're also potentially guys that could be moved in the offseason so as, as i stated in the last segment there are 12 guys under contract but not all those 12 guys will be back so if there is a player most likely to be moved that's under contract by the pacers this offseason who gets voted off the island so to speak uh, Daniel Tice, but that's not the most interesting answer. Sure, <laughs> I think. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think Tice obviously is going to want to move on. I think basically, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how happy he was with the fact that basically he uh, didn't get any playing time down the stretches. They were really focused on developing Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. Obviously, when they brought Tice back from the injury, you know, that that really clogged the whole thing up, and each of those guys lost some development time. But it seemed like the point was to kind of get Tice back on film and say, hey, look, this guy can still do something for you. This guy's still useful. Um, and, you know, somebody should take him. And, and he he belongs as a backup center somewhere in the NBA. He's good enough. And I think what he showed in limited minutes uh, or, or, or limited games, basically, and when they when they brought him out, they really let him play for 15, 20-minute stretches. Um you know, for those seven games, and I thought you saw some good skill there, but I mean, obviously, they're more, uh, you, you know, I, I don't think they had an issue with having too many centers sure. uh, on this team, and for that reason, that's a big reason why they had to let, you know, go Goga Batadze, who was a first round pick not too long ago. Uh, you know, with this team, he didn't have a place, and you know, they basically Jalen Smith drifted more towards being a five than being a four, the way that, you know, he was supposed to be a power forward when the season started. It seems more and more like uh, he can play the four from time to time, but it's, he's not a guy that you're going to start at the four and say that's your guy. Um, so you looking at Smith and you're looking at Jackson, they're eventually going to have to make a decision. I don't know if they have to now, but they certainly can't have another guy taking up minutes, and I don't think Tice was going to want, is going to want to be there for that. So that's an obvious one that uh, they're going to have to move him probably for a second-round pick if they're lucky. Um, you know, I don't know what they're going to get on him, but I do think that you know whoever does get him has a functional, useful backup center that I think can still play NBA minutes, make a difference, rebound, set bone-rattling screens, make the occasional 10-foot jumper. Um, you know, there's a valuable guy there. I'm just not sure how much they're going to get back for him. But, you know, beyond that, I mean, there, there are several moves that you could make and just depends on what you can package. I mean, I, I, I you know, obviously, as you mentioned, I, I don't think uh, Buddy and TJ are what you would call safe. You can't look at them and say that they're definitely going to be a pat back a part of this uh, group, but I, mean, I think they both can fetch something. Uh, you know, if you put them if you put them together, if, if, if you, you know, one or the other, you know, uh, and, and they are going to move draft picks, basically. Uh, you know, Kevin Pitcher has pretty much said, I'm not bringing in five rookies. And they might, I think, only end up with four picks, but I don't think he wants four either. Uh, three, I think, is tops, and I don't even know if he wants that many um, because he's already got a young enough team as is, and he saw just the way that you can kind of clog guys up uh, and make it harder to develop players when you have so many young young guys that need minutes. Um, so I think that's kind of an issue there. That, that they, you know, There are packages that can be put together. Um, you know, With each of those guys, you have arguments on one hand and arguments on the other hand for, for why they need them and why they don't. Um, you know, McConnell, you could... I mean, McConnell played really, really well uh, this year. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if surprise was the word, um, 
My man, he was really effective at doing what he does. Um, you know, at, I mean, he, he got to be, I think, a more solid defender more than just a gambler on defense. And man, I mean, he could just get to that six foot jump shot every time he wants to. Uh, and it's amazing. I think when you when you look at a guy, I mean, he's listed at six one. I don't know if he's that tall. Um, and but he, you know, he's just quick enough to somehow get to where he needs to be uh, when he wants to go there. When he decides he wants to break that, you know, if there's only one guy on him, that's usually that. You know, it's usually basically like leaving somebody out on an island to try to defend him. He can very frequently get past that guy and either get a layup or a six-foot jumper that he makes almost every time, and he's better uh, now that he can make the occasional three. I mean, he's still not taking a lot, but he knocked down like 44% this year, for which for him is far beyond what he'd ever expected. So he's really a valuable player still, and the question is, do the Pacers still need that? Because I think Andrew Nemhart obviously has to get some more minutes at the point. Um, you know, if, if you keep a third guy to run point, are you are, are you overloading that position, and are you paying too much money? I mean, he's going to make $9 million, uh, I think in this coming year. Are you paying too much money to a, to possibly your third point guard um you know that's i think a question but and, and again i think it's very clear that he can still be a, a really productive nba player as you saw uh you know really they almost had to take him out during the end because he was he was getting them wins they didn't need uh in the last couple games um and Buddy Heald obviously is an elite floor spacer, uh, you know, because he could just shoot the heck out of it. He's going to be one of the most prolific three-point shooters in history, but he's not a great defender. And so, uh, you know, I think there are other guys that have higher ceilings defensively. I think Benedict Mathurin obviously has to start at some point. Um, and so, you know, and, and do that soon. And I think they're, they're trying to push him towards that and, and get him there now. Uh, and he has, you know, he was not a very good defender either, but I think he's got a lot more upside. You know, Buddy's been in the league for seven, eight years and hasn't got a whole lot better on the defensive end. Mathurin, I think they see a lot of you know, of room for growth there, and so eventually he can be a really good defender that you can have uh, as a starter and a really good two-way player if he, if he puts it all together. And you know, with time, um, so it is the question for Buddy is, you know, like. Are you willing to, you know, come off the bench? And if if you're willing to come off the bench, are you willing to take bench money? Uh, you know, if you want to be there beyond next season, are you are you willing to, you know, you know that that that's less than the twenty million you're making right now? Are you would you be happy to be on this team and be part of it and keep playing with Tyrese Halliburton if it means you know you you, you dial down a notch and you notch and you take a pay cut? Um, you know, and that's the question. Or would they be better off moving him now uh, for something more valuable? I mean, I think you look at there's a lot of teams you look at and say, man, would they be better? with Buddy Heald. I mean, every time I watch the Lakers, I'm like, man, wouldn't, you know, how much would they be, how much better would they be if uh, Buddy Heald's the guy sitting in the corner waiting on that pass for LeBron? <laughs> you know, like, you know, that, that would be, that would make them a whole ton better. Um, so what can you get for that? Uh, and I think, you know, they, I would say this, I mean, like if, if they're giving up Buddy, I think they need to get ready to play players. Uh, I, I don't think it should be just, you know, piling up draft picks if they're going to move. I, I think either one of those guys, they should be able to get somebody that you can, who they can sit, who will serve a purpose for them now, um, or, or, you know, a first round pick or a lottery pick or something along those lines. I mean, it's got to be a guy that's got to be a player. I don't think you trade away those guys uh, for somebody who can't help you uh, or, or for a pick that ultimately is going to be a distant sort of, you know, uh, roll of the dice as to whether or not he works. Those guys are very clearly productive NBA players, and they shouldn't be parted with for anything less than that. Knowing that Buddy's contract expires at the end of the coming season, is there a greater market for him this summer? Is there a greater market for him in February at the trade deadline? That's a great question. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I would say, I would say a greater market. Uh, I would say better now. Um, I, I, but, but not by a whole lot. I mean, I, I think this is another thing with Buddy. Like, you do have to get him if, like, for Buddy to work, you have to have a 
functional team. You have to have a functional team and a functional organization. Obviously, it went bad in Sacramento. I mean, and, and you know, we, we saw that just the, the what, what remains of that. I mean, he got booed every time he touched the ball in Sacramento. And, you know, that did not end well. Um, but, you know, he's beloved in this locker room. So I think just obviously the difference is, you know, like, Buddy's not going to be the guy who creates the locker room culture. Buddy is part of the locker room culture. and He either sits in it or he doesn't. Um, you're not going to bring him in and he's going to change the way everybody thinks it works. If he doesn't like the way things are rolling, you, like, he's not going to be uh, as, as functional a piece. I mean, he, he, you have to bring him into, into a system where he fits. Um, and so if you're established – um, you know, like, you know, I guess the question is, you know, is the team going to be able to make it if it doesn't have a really good shooter? Is it going to be at that point in February where that's all it needs uh, is a shooter or does it need to get someone like that now to become that type of team um, that it can be in that position in February? So I think, you know, I, I think the market is pretty good for them, for him either way, uh, because again, you just know that you're going to get a guy that can shoot. You're going to get, you know, that you're going to get a guy that wants to play all 82. Um, I, I think that's important, and it is going to force to play all 82. I mean, apparently he like got in a fight with Rick because Rick was like, "You can't come to the the arena with a flu. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't. No, you're you're not playing 82 this year because you're sick. You were, you know, had a fever this morning. You're not bringing that into the clubhouse. Like, you can't do it. Uh, and Buddy wanted to play, <laughs> so you know, like Buddy, like eventually, it's like, yeah, that was probably a smart idea. But there was a minute apparently where Buddy really, really wanted to play and didn't want to be told no. Um, so that matters. So, I mean, like it's setting the culture for, for guys that want to play and, and um, you know, wanting people that are willing to play through pain, willing to play through, you know, you don't want to play through injury or making stuff worse, but, you know, just, just setting a high standard for keeping yourself in condition so that you can play for 82. Um, so there's there's a lot of value to him, but you got to know that you he's a guy that you that, that fits. Um, you know, he's a guy that fits your culture, um, and you know that you have a strong enough culture to bring him in. He's a big big personality, but again, he's not necessarily a captain type. So you got to know that he fits. I think it's you know I, I think you could go either way. There could definitely be a team that needs him more now. There could definitely be a, be a team that needs him more in February. Um, and so you obviously got to see what the what the market looks like now and. See if you're ready to pull the trigger. Check again in February if you don't. See what you have. See what you are, uh, and if you can afford to part with them. So, it's. I mean, the way Kevin Pritchard talks. I mean, they're just evaluating so much. I think that's the, the way they have to look at it. Is you know, look at every deal, and 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 they say the, the word they kept using. He kept using was model. We model. We model. We model. We model. Um, and you know, they they have to look at look at all of these deals from so many different angles because they could break a bunch of different ways for them. Again, Dustin Pirac, Indianapolis Star, all things Indiana Pacers. Greg Rakestraw with you, fan midday show, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. A couple quick things, and then we'll let you go. Um, at my level of basketball that I cover, I'm talking about playing defense, it usually just equates to play harder, you know, give more of a darn defensively. I don't think at the college and NBA level it's that simple. So when we all acknowledge this team has to be better defensively this coming season – how does this group go about doing that? I mean, it needs a hard offseason. I think you know we we took that like it is part just you know give more of a darn, um, but it's it's give more of a darn starting now. Um, I think you know basically Tyrese Halliburton. We've asked Tyrese about it um, because it's, the guys that score are going to be the need. Oh, the guys need to get better defensively. Um, you know, guys that that have to be out there because they're so good offensively. And you know, Halliburton, for instance, I mean, he, he was top ten in the league in steals because he's got such high basketball IQ. He gets in passing lanes. He he has a sense of where an offense is going to try to put the ball and how he can be there to take it away. But 
you know, and he he went so far as to say this. He's like, I'm getting overpowered to the point of attack, and that's my fault, and that's that's a problem. That's something I've got to fix, uh, and that's really where I mean. But that's that's the case for several guys. Is you know, like. Uh, Offensive players are really, 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 really good in the NBA, and you're not shutting anybody down no matter who you are. Um, but you've got to be able to physically make them feel you and make, you, make them uncomfortable. And Aaron Neesmith and, and Andrew Nembhard at least did that. Uh, you know, I don't know if you'd call them great lockdown defenders, but on a nightly basis, they at least made the guys that they were defending, and they were defending the best players in the world, made them feel them, like made them notice that they had to work to get shots. Um, you know, so – the rest of the guys didn't necessarily do that. And I think Halliburton knows that, okay, I've got to step up and I've got to be, if I'm going to hold everybody else accountable on defense, I got to hold myself accountable and I've got to be better at that. And that means off season training. That means muscle. That means adding, you know, basically adding some size, adding some, you know, just ability to go, you know, move laterally and keep somebody in front of you. And, and you know, he was losing those battles, uh, you know, and that's mostly, they weren't really putting him on anybody that he really had to guard. They were mostly trying to hide him as much as they can, but I mean, they were really trying to hide, Tyrese and Buddy, um, and when you got to hide two starters, that's not easy because they'll eventually find you and pick on you, um, you know, at some point in time. And that's really what you know. So that that takes some off-season work, and that takes everybody getting a, a little bit better at defending somebody. As, as Rick Carlisle said, you know, the issue was, I mean, like system has something to do with it. But at the end of the day, like the problem is you're you're too often in rotation when you're at when you ask too much of your rotations and too much of your communication because guys are losing their one-on-one battles. You know, you're 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 eventually going to lose that you know no matter how good you are rotating you know if, if you can't really guard your yard uh you're gonna lose and, they, and they've got really good shot blockers at the end um but you know that's not enough i mean basically if, you, if you're getting basically I, they were giving up 34 shots in the paint or within five feet per game um, 34 34 attempts and you know it, it speaks well to the shot blockers that they were only shooting opponents were only shooting 62.4 percent from the floor on those that's a pretty good number actually because i mean that's why they were like top two in the league in, in uh, block shots, but you know, they're making 21 field goals. I mean, like, like layups are like 42 points a game for the other team. That's an issue. You know, like when you're allowing that many layups, that many opportunities, uh, you're, you're getting beat of a point of attack and, and getting beat badly. So everybody's got to be better. You know, but you know, but it, it starts with I think the guys that are really good offensive players are going to have to play 36 minutes a game. Those guys can't be you, you can't hide them for 36 minutes. Uh, they have to be able to win some of those matchups and be able to hold people off. And so you know, those guys got to spend a lot of the offseason working on defense, working on their bodies, so they can be better defenders. Last thing before we let you go, the internet is known to lie to you from time to time. Now, not when you read Dustin's work at the Indianapolis exactly. Star, but mm-hmm. but but by the fingers and toes counting that I have done. As of now, the Pacers have about $95 million committed in salary for next year. The NBA salary cap is set to be $134 million for the coming season. Um, Mm -hmm. Draft pick's going to get some of that money, and there's Mm -hmm. not many roster spots, but there is free agent money to be had, and there's really not anybody else in this group that you kind of have to extend right now. What are the Pacers doing with that money? Are, are they potentially bringing in a free agent here during the course of, of, of this offseason? Obviously, knowing that process is about three months away. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they are going to use that. They, they plan to use that cap money to try to get try to obtain assets. I mean, they, they might get free agents, or you know, they also have the ability to make these make trades 
uh, knowing that they can take on sure. uh, there, they, they can take on guys through trades that are going to, you know, that they're going to have to pay more. Uh, they don't necessarily have to even up the money. Uh, you know, they have the space for it. They can, they they can give away picks or they can give away stuff that isn't doesn't you know ha, does not have a, a high cap number uh, that they can add to. Um, so that that I think is that that's a big issue. There is, is that there's a lot of capacity to move things. Uh, they could go after a free agent. I mean, I think. I mean, now how big are they going to go with that? Is, are they going to use certain some of that in trade, some of that in free agency? You know, what ultimately? Uh, how do they break all that up? Uh, is is a tough question, and that's you know they're they're going to look for a lot of different avenues. I mean, I, I don't. Don't know, you know. Obviously, they don't traditionally make the big, big splash uh, in free agency, and 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 I don't think um, there has been more, you know. Uh, there have been more star-studded free agent classes. Sure, uh, I, I think in, in in history, this isn't one of those years where like all of the big guys are on the market. Um, but you know, there there are some useful players that I think are, are worth them looking at. Maybe it's somebody, um, you know, somebody mid-range. I mean, I was looking at power forwards the other day. I mean, I know like you know Jeremy Grant. I think is one of the highest, uh, you know, paid guys right there. I don't know if they go for somebody like them, but I think you maybe look down the list of somebody who's less, um, a, a little bit less of a big name, and that might be somebody they add. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. And I think they, they do view and Kevin Pritchard said this explicitly and then Carlisle said to a lesser extent, but they do view, you know, Halliburton is a recruiter, um, as somebody that can, that can make somebody want to come play at Indiana by saying, Hey, you're going to get the ball. Um, you know, that this, that the superstar here wants to pass and wants to involve, uh, and wants to involve other people. So this is a reason why, uh, you should consider it basically that it, that it could be a good fit, especially if you, if, if it's guys who intend to go get another contract someplace else, go to Indiana, get yourself some stats, go get really paid. Um, you know, I, I think is, is one of those things that they can put out there and say, you know, you have a chance to add a lot to your career, add a lot to your earning potential if you go play, play with Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, just look at just look at Miles Turner and what and how much better player he of a better player he became by playing with Tyrese for a year. Um, you know, Tyrese sees you know basically things that Miles can do that, that I don't know if nobody else noticed, but they didn't really uh, take full advantage of when those guys work together. They can be really really good. So that's just, that's something else that he can help somebody else become a better player and sort of unlock everything they have. Um, and so they, they view themselves as competitors on some level for free agency. They obviously know. They're not a big market, and there's some, you know, there's obviously things that they lose. But if they look at mid-level free agents, uh, guys that can still be really useful, um, that, that they can be an attractive place for them. Dustin Deperak of the Indianapolis Star joining us for the better part of the last 25 minutes. Thanks for the time and the insight, my friend. Enjoy a little downtime coming up. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. You got it, buddy. Again, Dustin Deperak joining us on the hotline. We'll take this time out. When we come back, another guest will be calling us. He would be a starting defensive end for the Indianapolis Colts. Quiddy Page joins us after this short time out. It is the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Quiddy Pay, a few moments from now, joining the program, Dustin Dopirak, a lengthy conversation about the Indiana Pacers, available in podcast form soon, I am sure, at 1075thefan.com. Mark Janes will talk all things IndyCar with me coming up during the 2 o'clock hour of the show. IndyCar, depending on whom you talk to, 
Maybe their second biggest event of the season, that being Long Beach, is this weekend. Obviously, you'll hear coverage of the Long Beach Grand Prix Sunday afternoon right here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And in case you missed it during the first hour of the program, Trish Whitaker uh, was with us because the Tampa Bay Rays have yet to lose. They have the second best start. I guess it's third best start. Trying to equal the 82 Atlanta Braves and the 87 Milwaukee Brewers to start a season 13-0. and That game had a first pitch at 110. That game is in the top of the second. That game is 1-1, currently in the top of the second inning. I'm not sure how many Rays updates we will give you during uh, this portion of the program, but uh, we'll at least kind of keep an eyeball on it as they are chasing history. Again, we talked Pacers for the last couple of segments. Let's shift this to talking about the Indianapolis Colts. Again, Colts just got back together this week, kind of the first meeting with everybody in the room with head coach Shane Steichen happened in the last couple of days. The folks from the Annapolis Colts, kind enough to give us on the program today a gentleman entering his third year with the Indianapolis Colts. It is Quiddy Pay that joins us now. Quiddy, it's Greg Rakestraw with you. Thanks for the time, man. How you doing? Doing pretty good. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, I know this is uh, it's a long, slow buildup, knowing the season starts basically five months from now. What are these first couple of days like in the, back in the, in the facility? How have they gone for you? It's like the first day back from school, you know, you know, uh, just me and all the guys again and, uh, you know, seeing some new faces, catching up with, with the friends and like, uh, just seeing what they've been doing over the off season. I'm always fascinated, you know, when a season ends. So your last game, January 8th, January 9th, whatever it was, how much time do you give yourself to to not work out, to get away? How much time do you have to let your, your mind and body heal before you get ramping back up for the next season? Yeah, I learned from my first off season. My first off season, I only took like a weekend off. Went to go see my mom, and I was right back to working out. So this off season, you know, I gave myself a little bit more time to, you know, relax, get my mind right, a lot of body to heal, and you know, maybe like two weeks or so, and then I was back, back to, back to work. You know, it, it, you, since you mentioned your mom, I'll ask you this question now. And so many guys, when they are drafted, talk about, hey, mom's done working. Hey, I'm going to buy a house for mom. Because of your story, because of what you had to go through as a kid to come to the States from Africa because of civil war and, and strife from where you where you were supposed to grow up, I know that resonated a lot more with you. What has life been like for her these last couple of years? Oh, it's been, it's been a dream come true for her just, just to be able to do whatever she wants and not really stress about anything, uh, really be there for my brothers. Um, my younger brothers go to all the activities, take them to all the activities and you know, just do everything that she always wanted to do. So living a stress-free life is, is always good. Is she here in Indianapolis with you, or has she stayed out in the Northeast? So she's, she's in the Northeast right now for a little bit. Yeah, because you obviously got brothers that don't want to move. I understand that they want to stay with their friends and, and, and kind of go through kind of the, the same things that you did uh, as a high schooler as well. When we yeah. talk about, you know, college, same in high school, same in the pros, oftentimes the biggest jump you're going to make as a player is between year one and year two. Well, now you're past that. What are some of the things that you are really, you know, kind of, you know, driving down the details on to say, okay, this is where I want to improve from year two to year three? I think every year um, you just look back at the film and be like, oh, I can improve definitely here in this in this uh, field, you know. And for me, it has been the pass rush. I definitely took a big jump from first year to second year, but um, obviously 
being healthy was a was a big thing for me and um once I feel like this year that's kind of what I have to really hone in on being staying healthy and you know just um, improving on my pass rush. 15 games in, in year number one, 12 games in, in year number two, and, and so many times in football, it's it's nothing that you did that caused you to get hurt. So are there things that you're attacking differently? We talked about giving yourself some more rest, both mentally and physically in the offseason. Anything in particular you're trying to do differently to be out there for, for 17 games this fall? Yeah, no. Um, my rookie year, I kind of just learned from, you know, I kind of get a lot of soft tissue injuries. So I've been a big yogi. I've, I've been doing a lot of hot yoga. I've been getting right. <laughs> and ever since then, I haven't dealt with any soft tissue injuries. So that's that's been good for me. This past year was just a freak thing where somebody stepped on my ankle. Right. and I was rotating a different way, and I just happened to get a high ankle sprain off of that. But, you know, um, other than that, I mean, I think I've been pretty healthy, like nothing out of the ordinary. And, uh, yeah. Six sacks in 12 games. You know, averaging a sack every the game is pretty good. Is, is is that a barometer you're trying to hit again this year? Have you set a number as a goal for number of sacks coming up in, in 2023? Yeah, I think for every DN, I think the that magic number is – uh, any um, double-digit sack. Sure. So I feel like for me, 10 tens the goal I'm trying to hit. So, Megan, Pretty Pay is our guest, Greg Rakestraw, Fan Midday Show here on 93.5 and, and 107.5 The Fan. When there is a coaching change, as you dealt with from a coordinator standpoint last year, so much of April is installation, and this is how we're going to play, and this is where you need to be at all times. There's some position coaching changes, but not a coordinator change for you. How is this April different than, say, last year was for you? I think for us, everyone on the defense really appreciates having the same defense that we had last year, sure. same coaches, being able to, you know, just go a little bit deeper and uh, how we prepare and, you know, just going a little bit deeper into the uh, system, just learning more, just just playing a lot faster. So I think it's going to be good for me going from year one to year two, I had to learn a whole new defense. So it was still a learning thing that I had to go through, but going into my second year in the same defense is going to benefit everybody greatly. Obviously, you are ramping up, you know, things, you know, getting ready for OTAs and then training camp and, and then the season. But obviously, there are pieces that will be joining you guys in, in three or four weeks and one of those expected to be a young quarterback so you've got you know a large chunk of the team but you know it's not all of the team so what's kind of the scuttlebutt conversation what's it like knowing that locker room is going to change again in two or three weeks I think we're all excited for it uh, we're all excited to see all the new additions that we have you know guys uh, coming in late in OTAs and uh, whatever, but you know everyone will, will be excited for the draft to see who we pick up and welcome them with uh, open arms and just be excited for it. All right, so are you are you like doing any scouting? Like, do you have uh, have like a favorite? Have you been studying quarterback film of these potential first round picks? How have you handled that? I mean, I I just been on uh, Instagram just looking at uh, <laughs> all the NFL posts of the you know quarterback prospects coming out who has the strongest arm, you know who's the most mobile and the smartest quarterback so I just, I, I've been trying to keep up just to see who will pick up but it's all uh, up in the air I would say all right what's what's the best piece of advice and I realize you're playing defensive and not quarterback but for any first round pick having gone through the process two years ago and saw your dreams realized as a first round NFL pick what's the best piece of advice you can give an incoming first round pick here in a couple of weeks I would say uh, get over 
the you know being a first round pick very fast because once you get to this level it doesn't matter where you was drafted and all that once you get to the team once you get to camp all that matters is you know how you're going to help the team how you're going to you know put your best foot forward to help the team win as many games as possible so yeah once the draft is you know over that enjoy it with your family you know have fun whatever but then it's it's time to get to work all right seven or eight minutes in and i have yet to ask you about the new head coach what was that first conversation with state with the uh, kind of shane steichen as a team that first meeting like earlier this week I think everybody was, you know, uh, sitting up in their chairs and very eager to hear what what he had to say, and we could just feel his energy and the passion that he's going to bring to this team. So I feel like everybody's excited to see how it's going to go. You know, OTAs, we can't really do all too much. Sure. But, um, once we get into camp, once we get into, like, the thick of things, I think that's when guys really enjoy, you know, this game when we go through a lot of hard stuff together and, you know, struggle together and um, everyone's excited for it. Final thing before we let you go, and, and again, don't know what your travel plans are during the course of the offseason, but once you're away and come back to Indy, obviously, you know, for a good chunk of the year, you're kind of too busy to go out and really enjoy life in Indianapolis. Now you've at least got a little time to kind of go around town, do whatever the case may be, in addition to getting your work done at the complex. When you come back to Indy, what do you miss about Indianapolis? What do I miss about Indianapolis? Yeah. I, I like the downtown scene, and a lot of people really sleep on the on the food and the and the steakhouses. Prime Forty Seven is a great steakhouse. I think Hyde Park is an even better steakhouse. But yeah, you know, I just. I just love the food here. Since I know the owner of Hyde Park, he'll appreciate that. And as the guy that's in charge of giving out the Prime 47 gift cards during the postgame show, I will do my best to make sure you get one of those. You get a couple of sacks in a game, that gift card's going your way this regular season. I promise you that. Yes, sir. Thank you. Hey, Quiddy, thanks so much for the time. It's good to have you back both on the show and in town. And I know things are just getting started. Good luck with the upcoming year. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. You got it. Quitty Pay. Again, kind enough to join us here on the Fan Midday Show. So if you want to use that as a way to transition to talking all things about the Indianapolis Colts, since Jimmy and I touched on that at the very beginning of the show, now would be a good time to do so. Mark Jane's at two. We've been guest heavy for most of the program. You got something you want to say? Now is the time. Phone lines open, 317-239-1070. At Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. Colts conversation or whatever direction you want to take us in when we come back. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Phone lines open. Dial us up now. 317-239-1070. Uh, you can tweet to the program, too, at Greg Rakestraw. You can email the show as well. Greg at 1070thefan.com. There is a bit of breaking NFL news. Nothing to do with a player. We'll talk more about that in a couple of minutes. But wanted to touch on kind of Quiddy Pay's numbers. And again, six sacks in 12 games played last year. Four sacks in 15 games played the year before. Uh, his number of tackles went up even with less games played from year one to year two. He has recovered three fumbles during his days with the Indianapolis Colts. And again, he is clearly part of a rotation um, you, you take out Yannick Ngakwe, you bring in Ebukam from the San Francisco 49ers. 
You've got Dio Dengbo back for a third year. You've got DeForest Buckner. You've got Grover Stewart. And let's face it, there are question marks, the ultimate question mark, whom your quarterback is going to be. If there is a place where there seemingly is less question marks, be at the defensive line. You feel pretty good about the depth. You have a question mark as to just how effective can that pass rush be. But could he pay? Let's hope he has a great year. Let's hope he has a healthy year. But defensively, the questions are cornerback. How do you feel good about how you feel about the cornerback position? And honest, and then it's it's the health of Darius Leonard. You know, you let Bobby O'Karake go. He's now with the New York Giants with the idea of you've got Darius under contract, or I'm sorry, Shaquille Leonard under contract, force of habit. You've got, you know, Zaire Franklin under contract. And you really have played two linebackers. It's really what you do. You play, you play more of a 4 2 5 you do anything else. And so, cornerback's the question on defense. I like what they have at the safety position. I like what they've got in the linebacker position. If Leonard is healthy and a, dare, and a difference maker, I really like what they have in terms of their defensive line depth. Are you going to be able to consistently get to the quarterback? And Quiddy Pay is one of those guys that, frankly, needs to be getting there on a regular basis. Great conversation with Quiddy Podcast available, uh, if not now, soon at 1075thefan.com. Now, uh, the big news from football, and this will probably be amongst the bigger news in sports today. And let's face it, kind of a slow sports day. Limited day in Major League Baseball. No NBA playoff action. NHL is not to the postseason just yet. You get the idea. Not exactly a crazy busy day in sports. But Dan Snyder has agreed to sell the Washington Commanders. Jimmy, have you seen the price tag attached to this yet? I have not. Okay, let's play. Guess how much a franchise is worth. We'll take a wager as to how much uh, apparently, reportedly, that he is going to sell the commanders for. It is a record price for a sports team. I always overshoot the mark, but I, in the interest of good radio, I will say $2.5 billion. Uh, just a little shy of that. Dan Snyder... Unfortunately, um, to to get him out of NFL ownership uh, requires a little more money. So please go a little higher than $2.5 billion. 4.5. Uh, Dan Snyder is making more than $4.5 billion to sell the team. <laughs> Eight. Okay, he's not making that much. <laughs> he's going to have to get by on $6 billion wow. with a B. Wow. The group that is buying it includes the managing partner of the 76ers and Josh Harris, and perhaps a former basketball player you might have heard of, Magic Johnson. But the Washington Commanders are being sold for $6 billion. Now, you hear me typing. How much did Dan Snyder buy the Redskins for? It's like the computer knew my mind. In 1999, Dan paid apparently $800 million to buy the team. See, that time would have gone too low. So this is right. And, and I would have said the same thing. So um, like, like the story like you usually hear, like I have no idea what the Yankees are valued at now, 
But like George Steinbrenner bought the team for like $10 million in 1973. A little different in how we value franchises 26 years later and then 24 years after that. So in the 24 years in which Dan Snyder had the team, he's going to have to settle for a profit of $5.2 billion. But one of the, um, I don't want to say scandals, there are plenty of scandals involved uh, with the commanders, but one of the longest-ranging questions, almost like how many licks would it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll pop? but one that was worth billions of dollars more than that question. The Washington Commanders are being sold for $6 billion. So I would have thought, because Forbes releases their evaluations of teams every year, it's kind of what you're alluding to with the Yankees, and I would have thought the Commanders were lower than they are. This is last August by Forbes, Mm -hmm. rated sixth for NFL teams as the most valued franchise. Right. $5.6 $5.6 billion was their evaluation. Yeah. so Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I spend a lot of time valuing pro sports <laughs> franchises, but again, it's, it's you know, this, the stadium, I don't know, I, I, the stadium deal, I'm assuring it because it was built in 99, I'm sure it's pro team. Yeah. There's a lot of complaints about where it's located. Um, and obviously, after almost having like a Packers level wait list in terms of desire to go to games, um, while the fortunes of the team were not good, um, the, the season ticket sales have gone down. I mean, the last time that the Colts would have played there would have been in would have been Frank Reich's first year, would have been like the second or third game that Frank coached in 2018. And I remember, you know, how many empty seats there were for a September game in watching the Colts play. So people had soured on the team locally because of their lack of success. If there is ever a team that is known as the off-season champions, then it would be the Washington Redskins slash commanders. And despite what you think of the man that owned the team, I'm not trying to say anything glowing about him, um, in this case... If you want to see him removed from the uh, the realm of NFL, NFL ownership, it was going to require a lot of money. $6 billion, apparently, is that price. Now, I get this on Twitter from John. Here we go. It's a time of year where this roster is amazing, according to local media members. It happens every year. Unreal. Did I call the roster amazing? I, I don't think I did. I said I like the, the, the depth of the defense. If Leonard is healthy at linebacker, I like he and Zaire Franklin at linebacker. There's a big question mark right there. I said, if they have an effective pass rush, they've been average in terms of pass rush. That needs to be better. So they got questions at cornerback. I like what they have at safety. Offensive line, they're going to bring the same dudes back. Hopefully you got a better way to coach them up. Hopefully there's something there in terms of improving that offensive line because that has to be better um if we're given grades the quarterback is obviously incomplete john john you didn't ask me about the wide receiver position which has to be improved greatly so i literally made one comment about the defense saying i like the depth of the defensive line hey if leonard is healthy i like their linebacker core don't know who the quarterback is 
So, John, you can read that however you want to. Leave it at that. Uh, I got a tweet, a couple tweets I wanted to get to from earlier in the program. Um, From Jason, can we get Greg Rakestraw a permanent midday show? Jason, thank you very much for the kind words. Um, I am happy to be adjunct faculty. I absolutely love what I do. Uh, The day job with the ISC Sports Network, what I do for the Indianapolis Colts, what I do for the Indy 11 high school sports, etc. Man, I'm in a good place in life. And so uh, I have enough job responsibilities. I'm thankful that this time of year I get to kind of hang around and and do this, um, you know, once a week, maybe a couple of times a month, maybe. We should view like my hosting a talk show like guard duty. One weekend a month. That sounds about nice. Couple of days a month. That works for me. Uh, Jason, you'll probably hear a little bit more of me in the month of May. That usually is the case that because of our uh, extended coverage in the month of May, they need more people around. And so I kind of magically appear at 16th and Georgetown and poof, tell you about the fastest practice speeds of the day and break down some qualification laps for you. What the field of 33 is going to look like. I'm good with that, but I'm happy with the role that I have. Um, but thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. He also asked, can we bring back Take the Rake? Um, Jimmy, I, I know you're a youngin, uh, and so you're you're how old? You're 25, 26 at this point? Come on, Rake. What, what are you? 28. You're 28. Okay. You don't look a day over 25 or 26. I appreciate that. I like the baby face. So, so uh, <laughs> well, you have a full head of hair, which I don't have. Um, so when when I last held hosted a daily talk show, you would have been 14. It was May of 2009, the last time that I was a daily talk show host in this city. Eighth grade graduation. Literally half a (laughs) lifetime for you ago. But one of the things that we did, uh, we had this, you know, segment where it's basically, um, you know, there's Stump the Schwab. um, There's, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. We would have Take the Rake. And we did this in like three categories where... um, where basically was stuff that you as a producer could look up immediately and have an answer to, and where you could verify that my monitor was off, that I was not looking, there was no notes for me whatsoever. And back in the day, those three things were Division One mascots, like name a random Division One school. Just run off Toledo. Top. Toledo, they're the Rockets. I had, I had to know the nickname of the team like that. Um, the other one that we did was, was more NBA-related because it was easy to kind of look up. We would say, okay – and be alma maters. This guy had to play one year of college basketball because back then we had high school kids. So uh, I am not as well versed on my NBA random players as it used to be. So Trey Young played at Oklahoma. Thanks for giving me a very gotcha. easy, rememberable gotcha. example no of him playing in college. Or you give me an NBA random NBA player, and I have to name the. Um, I have to basically give you a number, or you give me like say. Showed you how old this was. Like Sonic 17. Well, the Sonic 7 played since 2007. So give me some random NBA player. I either name you his number and his team, or you can give me the team and the number, and I'll give you the player. There's this wonderful game called Purtle. That's the playoff Wordle that I play every day that has helped develop this skill for me while I am not covering the Pacers on a day-to-day basis the way that I used to. I used to sit courtside at Pacers games back when our media seats were the baseline corner and you couldn't pass up those seats. So I'd probably attend 30, 35 Pacers home games a year. Don't exactly do that anymore, despite the offer of wonderful tickets from Eddie White on a regular basis. I know you're listening, Eddie. Hello, Eddie. Hope you're having a great day. 
I have bogged down the show by asking Jimmy to name a random NBA player. I, I know. I didn't think this would be this big of a hurdle. I, I know for some reason now that I'm on the spot, I'm, I'm blanking all numbers and names. Um, so, like, for example, Miami if you said, 22. Miami 20 would be Jimmy Butler. Like, 11 for the Bulls would be Io sure, Desun Moon. Sure. You, you, you get yes. it. Got t- the t- point of the Timberwolves it. is Mike yeah. Conley. You get the idea. Just drop the ball. So, n- you're fine. So, <laughs> maybe what we do, since I know I am hosting this show on Tuesday. It's a great idea. Perhaps on Tuesday for one segment only and for one day only. Jimmy, uh, the theme music was that of Tic-Tac-Doe and the legendary Wink Martindale. I will see if I can dig up a five-minute loop of that show. And we will we will bring back Take the Rake for one day only. Now what we have to do is figure out what our prizes are going to be. <laughs> like perhaps I could dig up some Indy 11 tickets and anybody that stumps me gets a pair of tickets to next Saturday's game against Monterey Bay. Or I'll just go back to JMV's desk and take all the alcohol off of his <laughs> desk. And you'll get a fifth of whiskey if you call and try to take the rake. Perhaps we could do that on the program as well. So let's mark that down for Tuesday. We'll have a segment of Take the Rake. We'll bring it back like retro uniforms for one day, for one segment only. And Jason, just for you, because you asked nicely. Now, the other tweet I wanted to get to was from Greg, and you want to talk about Anthony Richardson writing a letter to NFL GMs and the Players' Tribune. And I saw that before the show started, and I'll reference that coming up a little bit later on the program. We'll take this short time out. We'll come back, talk some IndyCar. The radio voice of both the Indy 500 and the IndyCar series, Mark Jaynes, will join us next. IndyCar is heading to Long Beach this weekend. We'll talk about it next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You know, there are actually some of the turns, like the carousel at Long Beach and the hairpin, where you, you can't go 55. You are going slower, despite what Sammy Hagar is about to tell you. Greg Rakestraw, Jimmy Cook, and you... At 317-239-1070. Fan at Midday Show. James, who is hosting this program with you tomorrow? Who in the rotating cavalcade of stars will be joining you on the show tomorrow afternoon? Tomorrow will be me and Brian No from 12 to 3. Very cool. Enjoy the program with him. To the unsponsored guest line we go. It is Mark James, the voice of the IndyCar Series, who joins us now. How is beautiful Monrovia this afternoon? Uh, you know, it's God's country, Greg, simply put. <laughs> and I mean, no disrespect to beautiful Lanesville, Indiana. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, we're, everything's, uh, everything's going well. Just wrapped up uh, an interview with the Alumni Association. They have some events uh, coming up that we're uh, helping them promote via our Facebook page. So, uh, yeah, uh, all, all good. Looking forward to the weekend and some uh, NTT IndyCar Series action at the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. Now, you, you, I, I want to note this fact for you that uh, as I was coming back from the Hote a couple of Wednesdays ago, I had a little time to kill, so I took the scenic route. I took 42 just so I could make the left turn at Doghouse Pizza and then make my way to I-70 so I could, I could lay my eyes on beautiful Monrovia one more time. Well, I'll have you know that uh, thanks to our athletic director, Nick Pirica, uh, I, I was involved in the committee to select our next girls basketball coach, and uh, we wrapped up three days of interviews with some doghouse pizza and bread sticks. So take that, mister. There you go. All right. Now, uh, we'll somehow leave downtown Monrovia and focus our attention towards Long Beach. And and I, I kind of made this as a throwaway line early in the show. 
Is this the second biggest weekend of the IndyCar series, only behind the Indy 500? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly because of its history and tradition, uh, I, I think that's the case. I mean, uh, uh, boy, it's a who's who in terms of winners there. Um, it is, uh, I think, has become an iconic venue, which says a lot about a street course, quite frankly. And much of the credit has to go to, to Jim McKellion. I mean, who's as much a part of that event as anybody in the job that uh, his group does. I mean, they, they lost a pretty significant title sponsorship a few years ago, and Acura stepped up, and they literally have not uh, skipped a beat. And, and you know, they survived, uh, you know, the, the, the pandemic and, and appears to have come back as, uh, as healthy as ever. And um, I, I know that, uh, you know, say for a driver's hometown, for instance, or a home race like a, 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 a Graham Rahal at Mid-Ohio, uh, or, or maybe even, you know, Joseph Newgard on the streets of Nashville. I, I, I think if you ask every driver up and down that paddock, if, if okay, if you can't win the Borg Warner, pick one more. And I, I, I think they're all going to say, uh, yeah, I want to win at Long Beach for sure. You know, we are just now to the point where you're calling races every couple of weekends. And obviously in May, you're doing something every day with the Indianapolis 500. But through two races, what have we really learned about this IndyCar season so far? Well, I, I think it's going to boil down to who makes the fewest mistakes. And not necessarily I, – I think, you know, I talked to Marcus Erickson about this uh, prior to the race at Texas last year's 500 champion. And, you know, uh, he, he seems to think that Will Power uh, it, it, it put together a pretty good blueprint as to how to win a championship in this NTT IndyCar Series era. Uh, now, but clearly, if you win a lot of races, the points are going to take care of themselves. But because of the level of competition that exists in the series, I, I think your best approach is to take a win when you can get it, but make sure you're going to get podium finishes and at the very least top fives. And, oh, by the way, you might want to grab an extra point courtesy of the pole here and there. I mean, Will Power won the championship last year with just one win at Detroit. That gives you an idea of the level of consistency that he had in winning a championship. Again, Mark James, you know that voice by now here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Um, this is the deepest field potentially um in the history of the IndyCar series and and literally we say that in terms of the talent and teams that can win but literally in terms of the sheer numbers how does that translate to a a a street course event like Long Beach where there's not a lot of room for cars now we got 26 27 28 entrants are going to be competing come Sunday afternoon yeah, I know that, uh, you know, that people have asked, uh, for instance, Alexander Rossi in the days leading up to the race, all the media opportunities, you know, there are those that ask what the similarities are uh, between, say, for instance, Long Beach and St. Pete. And he said, you know, the surfaces are, are different. And uh, and so, you know, the, the grip level is different and whatnot. But I, I think the thing that will make them similar, uh, I think there might be a few more passing opportunities all in all at, at Long Beach, but by the same token, for instance, 27 cars are entered on Saturday, and if we go back to the conversation that we just had and, and just how precious points are, I think it's that mindset that led to the two guys battling it out for the lead to end up in the tire barrier like we saw at St. Petersburg and Roman Grosjean and Scott McLaughlin. I mean, every single position is so very, very important in terms of points because the last thing you want to do is 
is you don't want to get into August, Greg, and look back to a race in late April and say, well, maybe if I'd have pushed a little harder and finished one more position, I would have won the championship. But I think because of that, uh, they they take a few more chances. And and when you do that, that that margin of error is very, very small. 27, by the way, car and driver combinations competing this weekend in Long Beach. Of course, you hear the race right here on 93.5 and 107.5, the fans. Now, again, now, as we said, we're getting to this stretch where, hey, two weeks is the race at Barber. Two weeks, it's Grand Prix weekend. Two weeks after that, it's the Indy 500. Obviously, in between, it's the race for the pole and qualifications. Well, the other date that is circled on the calendar is April the 27th. Because that is the debut of 100 Days to Indy. And I realize you're more concerned with the audio product than the video product. But my guess is you probably had a, a hand in the production or seen uh, a, 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 a clip or two or this. Your thoughts about this new show that is designed to get IndyCar out to more of the masses? Uh, well, certainly. Uh, hats off to Penske Entertainment and, and Mark Miles and Jay Fry and everyone with IndyCar that worked so very, very hard to find a partner uh, and a good partner to get this put together. And the level of promotion that it's receiving already, uh, I, I think, it speaks to the commitment that, to, quote, unquote, get the word out. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it obviously makes sense that anything you do with promoting this series, you, you simply must tie it to the Indianapolis 500. And I think they've done a very good job of that. Um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've had some, some folks stop by our, our booth and whatnot. I, we have some people from the production team scheduled to make an appearance on our show uh, this weekend to talk a little bit about and promote it. We've, we've used drivers to help promote it and everything. And, uh, you know, I, it, it's been a long time coming. And uh, I, I think, you know, the, the challenge was, you know, everyone agreed that it needed to be done and it should be done but it needed to be done the right way. And from everything that I gather and everything that I've seen in terms of how they've gone about the process, uh, I think it's going to be an accurate portrayal. I think it's going to get people who are already excited, even more excited. And I think it's going to introduce the series to, to a whole other legion of fans, which is, is the ultimate goal for sure. Well, let's put it this way. Again, you travel with these guys, you're around these guys on a, on a regular basis. And so, there's no way other than how people watch either in person or at a racetrack this is not going to show anything different to those that are race fans but to those that will have a chance to learn more about the personality of these drivers what are things that you get to observe in your position that the average fan might not get to that this show will kind of let them take a peek behind the curtain of yeah, for instance, you know, we, we did something uh, earlier this year along those same lines of its commitment that we made. I mean, we, we've had features with Jay Query and other folks who've talked to drivers. I did something during the offseason with them when, when they did their open test uh, out in California. I did something called a road trip where I sat down with the driver and I asked him maybe one or two racing-related questions. And, and, and then I came up with questions that, quite frankly, had little to nothing to do with racing to give people an opportunity to get to know who they are and what they think and how they think for instance you know i said okay if 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 you were taking a cross-country trip who would you most like to have in the car with you uh, a driver from the paddock and who would you least like to have with you and and you know i remember the colt herta said that he wouldn't want to have alexander rossi in the car with him because he didn't have very good taste in music and so (laughs) when, when i let when i let rossi know later that colton had said that rossi said see that's not true that's just not true i can't believe he said that so you know it, it, it and i think this show will take you not only behind the scenes a little bit 
uh, it, it peek behind the curtain and give you an idea. You, you know, you hear from race strategists. You'll be privy to the conversation. Those of you that don't have scanners, you'll hear a lot of the conversations, the concern, uh, the, 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 the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat will unfold before your very eyes, as it were. But I think also they're going to do an effective job of, of giving people a chance to, to, to get to know what these drivers are like when they're away from the racetrack. And, and I think that's so very important. All right, so I will turn the tables. If there is a member of the IndyCar Radio Network you would most like to have with you on a cross-country trip, whom would it be, or are they all tied for last, Mark? Well, no, I, I would say this. You know, we, we had some we had some issues with our flight coming back. And so this is a great question, Greg, and it's very timely. <laughs> I, I know the had, issues, by the way. I know what you speak. <laughs> we, we, we had issues getting back from Texas, so – me, Nick Yeoman, and Michael Young decided that we would drive from, from Dallas-Fort Worth. We drove from Dallas-Fort Worth to Collinsville, Illinois, spent the night there. We got in about midnight, and then we finished the drive uh, the next day. And, and I was, it, it was a very enjoyable trip, and we were all thankful that somehow, someway, Jake Corey was able to get on a plane to fly home. If that tells you anything about how I answered that question. Well, as, as the person that has to schedule <laughs> filming of a show around Jake Corey, and I, and I get a note um, that afternoon, and understandably so, hey, we can't do the show Monday. It's going to be Tuesday. And all of a sudden, I tune into the radio station Monday morning and go, man, Jake's Opal Connection, that's industry talk for how we connect when we're on the road, by the way, sounds great. And somebody goes, yeah, he's actually in the studio. Excuse me? So, yeah, I, I understand completely uh, how things play along uh, of that like. All right, anybody in particular you're kind of looking out for this weekend as we wrap things up from Long Beach? Well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and Ready Autosport uh, has had a lot of success over the past several years. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, Pottawa Ward, uh, among those that, you know, are, are, are looking to, to maintain the momentum that they gained at Texas. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we talked about the big three for so very, very long. And I think you simply must add Errol's McLaren into that conversation now with Rosenquist and Pottawa Ward and, and Alexander Rossi. I mean, they're they're competing for race wins, and I think that now championships year in and year out. But I think as much as anything, the entire field, while this is not an oval, it's not a high-speed oval, but I think you can appreciate and understand the significance of, uh, you know, having a good weekend at Long Beach, then getting ready for the two-day test at the Speedway. Then you've got, you know, an event at Barber. Then you've got it before you know it. The month of May rolls around. You're on the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And I think every team, every driver wants to have momentum on their side when they get to the story month of May. As always, my friend, appreciate our conversations both off the air and on. We'll have another one of those off the air soon. Take care of yourself, buddy. We'll talk soon. Always appreciate the invite, Greg. Take care. Thank you. Mark Jaynes, again, he is the radio voice of the IndyCar Series. Of course, this is the radio home of the IndyCar Series. And earlier, um, as Jimmy Cook and I have you know production meetings on the air, I go, hey, um, May 8th sounds you know about when Beyond the Bricks and Nightly Tracks Up begins. And I have been told by uh, the great Garasino, as I refer to him on Soccer Saturday as my producer of that show, and Garrison says, oh, no, 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 we're starting May 1st. With no Pacers, you get four weeks of month of May coverage. It literally lasts an entire month this month of May. And while Jake and Mike do a great job and Beyond the Bricks, and obviously Kevin and Kevin are tremendous in terms of trackside, when it's weekly, nightly, whatever the case may be, uh, let me also plug what Scott Johnston does with 560. 
Those things on Sunday mornings are absolutely wonderful. And I look forward to being a small part of the fans' month of May coverage coming up later this month. Now, again, I'll rely on Jimmy Cook for some killing and filling here. And it's one of the things that I always talk with, like, young aspiring broadcasters. And I'll give you a real-world example. Um, There is a former intern at 1070 The Fan that just landed a new job in Indianapolis. So if you see a new name and face, I'm not sure if he has made his official station debut. I think his first day on the job, I think, was Monday, I want to say. If you see Dominic Miranda at WTHR Channel 13, be nice to him. He went to Northwood High School, went to DePaul University. He interned here at 1070, the fan, because we still had an AM station back then. Anyway, one of the first things when he got the job at Channel 13, I said, hey, listen, you know your Colts, you know your Pacers, you know your college sports. He worked in Terre Haute, so he knows all of these things. Except there's one thing that you had better be studying up for now and getting ready for right now. It's the Indianapolis 500. And you may think you know a little something about that, but when you get to cover it every day and you're interviewing drivers every day, you are going to learn a lot more about it. You're going to learn a lot more about it. So start studying your notes. So with that, how long have you now been here a part of the fan family, Jimmy? Four years. Can't believe it's been that long. But that's one of the things my guests be a similar thing. You're like, hey, yep, basketball I'll figure it out. Football I'll figure it out. But the racing stuff kind of hits you smack in the face. You got to learn that quickly, don't you? Yes, very much so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, in, in general, and it, it's still one of those things where, like, my family would go to the race every year. But as a kid, like, I absorb so much sports content that I'm still learning every year more and more about the greatest spectacle in racing. And if you're new to the town – you have to. You have to at some level have a confident pulse to be able to understand not only the importance of the 500, but the importance of IndyCar to the city and to the state. Believe it or not, I actually learned that doing college radio at the University of Indianapolis. Really? I was a freshman. And again, I growing up in Southern Indiana, you know, I grew up far enough south, I could watch the race live on TV. I'm also old enough that the race wasn't shown live nationally. Till I was in the fourth grade, 86 was the first race that was not on tape delay on Sunday night on ABC, let alone here in Indianapolis. But, you know, I, I can spit out winners from years back then because I would watch the race I was into it. I didn't live it. So literally, we're doing a Friday afternoon college radio show at good old WICR at the University of Indianapolis. And my buddy, who is a senior, Brant Douglas was his name, He's from Kentucky, but he had now he had been there for four years. And he had two friends of his, and I couldn't tell you their names from Adam because that was 28 years ago at this point. But he brings them in specifically for his month of May Friday shows. And they're talking, and this is in the days of multiple manufacturers, multiple engines, multiple chassis. They're talking about you know, the Lola Buick combination. I'm like, that car's green. <laughs> like so 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 like I, I haven't I, I had enough I could give you historical knowledge. Well yes, Al Unser Jr. won the race in ninety two and ninety four. That of course was the year that, that the Penske completely missed on qualifying and wasn't in the ninety five race. But to get my point, I'm like, that was the slap in the face lesson. Hey, 
you better figure some things out. Now it's a little bit different. We have two different engine manufacturers. Chassis are all the same. There's a lot less uh, working fungible parts. Everybody kind of has, you know, similar gear. It's clearly not the same. And there are things that I'm not going to sit here and be an expert on, like, engine life and number of miles an engine is turned, and tire wear, and things like that. No, I tend to know more of the personal stories, historical stories. This is how successful or not successful this team has been. But it is one of the things that hits me every time we get ready for the Indy 500 is, hey, turn that part of your brain back on, because this is going to be a really big deal around here for the next three to four weeks. And we're not that far away. Again, we are from a sports standpoint locally. We're kind of at that take your breath moment. Four days removed from the end of the Pacers season. 14 days away from the NFL draft. And two and a half weeks away from the start of from green to checkers month of May coverage like you don't find anywhere else, not just for this event in the country, but for any event in the country. The way that we do it at the fan is completely different than it is done anywhere else in the States. We'll take this quick time out. We'll come back. It's me and you the rest of the way. So you got something to say? Now's the time. 317-239-1070. Email the program, greg at 1070thefan.com or tweet to me, at Greg Rakestraw. I'll do my best to try to interact with those of you on YouTube as well. But it's your show the rest of the way on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We've had four great guests, but they are in the past tense. Not as people, they're still with us. Uh, but in terms of them being on the program, it's now between you, me, and Jimmy Cook. You want to dial us up, now's the time. 317-239-1070. At Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. Those fantastic guests were Trisha Whitaker, formerly of CBS4, these days of uh, both. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Apple TV as well as uh, Tampa Bay Rays television. And I certainly hope that I am not the jinx that causes them to lose their first game. They're down 2-1 now in the bottom of the fourth. As the Rays are going to tie the, or attempting to tie, I should say, they're going for tying the best start in Major League Baseball, not just in the last 40 years, more about 40 coming up in a matter of moments, uh, but since 1900. And the teams that they are chasing, the 82 Atlanta Braves started 13 0. The 87 Milwaukee Brewers that started 13 0. The Braves made the playoffs. The Brewers did not the Rays have turned into a perennial playoff team let's face it you know in those days in the Braves days two teams out of 12 made the playoffs one in each of two six teams divisions uh in the Brewers case um two of 14 teams in the AL made the playoffs back then um a little bit different now when five of 15 make the playoffs in a given half of Major League Baseball. But they all count the same, right? All 162 games count the same. True. But life's a lot easier when you're 13 of the good 
or 12 to the good as they are now with 150 left to go. Gives you a little room for cushions. We kind of talked about with uh, having remembrances of the ride of wire Reds in 1990. When I thought they went 10-0, apparently they went 9-0. Who cares? They won the World Series. And also, uh, I had a revelation as to why they haven't won the World Series since. And I am not willing to take one for the team uh, for them to not win uh, or win a World Series at any point in time soon. So, Trish Whitaker was with us. Dustin Opirak, we talked extensively about the Indiana Pacers and what changes you could potentially see between this season and next season. Quiddy Pay of the Indianapolis Colts joined us as those guys are just getting back into the building and beginning that long, slow buildup to minicamp and training camp and the regular season. And, of course, I will be furiously jotting down notes for my schedule in terms of preseason games, in terms of regular season games, and normally the NFL schedule now is kind of usually got about the second week of May is about when that comes out. So I'll be doing that over the next few days and weeks. And then Mark James just with us in the last segment of the show as we'll start, start to talk more IndyCar on this program. And you'll hear more IndyCar on this station uh, on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. There was one tweet that I have not had a chance to get to yet that uh, I really haven't had a chance to kind of double back to. And this is from Greg, and I referenced it maybe about an hour or so ago. But he said, there's a great letter to the NFL GMs from Anthony Richardson in the Players' Tribune email. And yes, I saw that. And, and I'm not trying to poo-poo Anthony Richardson's story. And Anthony talked about, hey, you know, he's following the footsteps of his uncle. He wants to provide for his brother, wants to provide for his mom. And, and that's all well and good. And I love the fact that he's going to take care of his family who took care of him, that he was from a family in Florida that didn't have much. But at the same time, I mean, there's a lot of stories like that in the National Football League. And again, I we had Quiddy pay on. Um, Quiddy, born in one country, had to escape civil war in that country. He and his, and his mom and his, and then... And, and, Future brothers, you know, grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, basically, because of that. Um, I talk Colts and Ken Myers just shows up randomly out of the blue. It's like it's football season all over again. Um, so anyway, um, so it's it, 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 it's it's a wonderful story that he gets to punctuate this by signing a contract in a few weeks where he's going to get a guaranteed five years in the National Football League. That's great. But I would imagine that there are a lot of stories like Anthony Richardson's that are about to unfold. And that whether you're watching a draft coverage on ESPN or the NFL Network or whatever it may be, two weeks from now, you'll hear a lot about those stories. And so, great story, yes. But an uncommon story? Probably not. And again, is that is that the reason why I want the Colts to take Anthony Richardson? No. Um, it's the... Again... We had this conversation earlier. It certainly appears that some combination of Young and Stroud will go one and two. Doesn't mean for certain, but we kind of think that's going to be the case. And the conversation comes down to the draft for the Indianapolis Colts, while the quarterbacks taken at one and two will have an impact on the Colts. What are the Cardinals going to do at three? And again, for the life of me, 
I can't imagine that it is the Arizona Cardinals drafting at three. Or that as a deal with the Indianapolis Colts to get them to bump up from four to three. Whether that is somebody jumping in front of the Colts to get the quarterback that they want to take that player at three. Again, all the mock drafts I have seen have Will Anderson at three, edge rusher, going to the Arizona Cardinals. But you would think somebody with a quarterback need, because there are teams after the Indianapolis Colts at four that have a quarterback need, that somebody will swoop in there, take another player off the board potentially for the Colts, and now is Richardson on the board for the Colts at four? Is it Levis of the premium quarterbacks? Again, is the guy the Colts want really Hendon Hooker? Is the guy the Colts want at quarterback a guy that's not going to be in the draft until next year? And are we dealing with Minshew mania all season long for the Indianapolis Colts? It's possible. And let me say this. I really like the signing of Gardner Minshew. I think he can play. Whether you have brought him in to be the guy that shows a rookie the ropes, whether you have brought him in again, and I I, I want the Colts to take a quarterback at four or three. I, I want... I want the next phase of this to kind of get underway. This is rehashing for those of you, because I'm sure when you heard my voice on the radio today, and I hope you tell the sarcasm, detect the sarcasm in my voice, I'm sure you've like, damn it, I'm not going to work the rest of the day. Greg Rakestraw is on the air. I'm going to forget job responsibilities. Screw it. I'm listening to the radio for three straight hours. So for like the one of you, hi, mom, that that would apply to, I know that we are rehashing this from a couple of hours ago, okay? Hey, I'm part of that group too, but also they're you paying are mandated, me and I still have job responsibilities. You are mandated to listen to the show, <laughs> and if I were you, I wouldn't listen to all three hours of this show either. I understand that, okay? Um, but you, you, you get the point that I'm trying to make here. Uh, I, I want the Colts take quarterback at four. I still like Gardner Minshew. Again, is he your quarterback of the future? Probably not. Is he about as good of an alternative as you could have in terms of a backup quarterback? Yes. And could I see a scenario, depending on whom the Colts draft, that Minshew is actually your day one starter? Yes, I do. As he's teaching somebody. So I think Gardner Minshew can play. Is he a long-term answer at quarterback? No. Do I want this team to have a long-term answer at quarterback? Absolutely, I do. And I frankly hope they take two, three, move to three to get that long-term answer quarterback. That being said, team has needs at cornerback. Team has to figure out offensive line. Now, I don't think the answer is a young offensive lineman. The answer is somehow getting these guys who in the very recent past played really good football along the offensive line to figure out a way to do that again. And whomever the quarterback is going to be, Gardner Minshew, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, Hendon Hooker, Malik Hooker, whomever the quarterback is going to be, you got to give them more receivers, more weapons at wide receiver, which is also part of the reason why the Colts could be so reluctant to move up even from 4-2-3. Because to do that, you're probably giving up your second-round pick. And what does your second-round pick need to be? Probably needs to be at wide receiver. Because Michael Pittman Jr. has one more year left on his deal. Alec Pierce showed flashes. Still an unproven commodity. You bring in Isaiah McKenzie, solid veteran player, um, solid roster piece. I'm not sure he's going to be super crazy dynamic, 
And then Ashton Doolin, heck of a special teams player, has made the occasional big play, but is he a big-time receiving threat? So again, we and, and I am as guilty of this as anybody. We get blinded by the bright, shining light that is, you need a quarterback. And that's absolutely true. I don't think there are a lot of holes on this football team, but there are two or three really easy-to-spot needs and more dynamic playmakers at wide receiver is one of them. So my hope is that we're talking about quarterback in the first round, wide receiver in the second round when we get to two weeks from today and two weeks from Friday. Now, will it play out that way? Who knows? And probably not. You know, how the armchair analysts, and I would be of that group, how the armchair analysts predict that is going to happen is usually not the way that it works out. But from my somewhat educated view, that's the kind of way that, the way I look at it. Jimmy, what say you on that subject? I'm in that same boat. I mean, I, I worry because I... And maybe this is unfair because he did take Alec Pierce last year. I worry that the emphasis because of the need a corner is going to be that's where they go in the second round. But I've always been an offensive first guy. And assuming you're taking a rookie quarterback, even if he doesn't start, I'd like an additional weapon for Minshew. Wide receiver generally, particularly with a first year head coach, is the hardest position to grasp and master right. non-quarterback division in the NFL. So on the one hand, it's a shiny new toy, but on the other hand, I want another wide receiver with a year of development alongside your rookie QB. 317-239-1070. That is the telephone number. Jimmy, we may be the official jinx for the Tampa Bay Rays. They are down 3-1 in the top of the fifth. My, to all 27 of their season ticket holders, my bad. I'm sorry. We had Trisha Whitaker on the program talking about your team having an historic start and starting 12-0. And now they're down like within an hour and a half of us having her on the program. They potentially are going to lose their opening game of the season some two weeks into the season. My bad. My fault. I'm sorry. We'll take this quick timeout. We'll come back and we will wrap it up next here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fam. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back to wrap it up for me. I am back on Tuesday in this time slot. Of course, Soccer Saturday. Uh, and a soccer question thrown to me by Jack. And again, I joke about this. You can like set your watch to it. Like for six months in this program, I'm the high school guy. We get to the spring and I'm the soccer guy. So Jack has an 11 question for me. Hello, Jack. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Greg and uh, Jimmy. I just wanted to ask uh, if you're concerned that Indy 11 can't score on the run of play. It doesn't seem like the coaching staff's really concerned about it. And if it's not a red flag for you yet, at what point in the season does it become one? Thanks. Jack, that is a very legitimate question that you just asked me. Um, and it's funny. Not only is, in conversation, at least publicly, is Mark Lowry overly concerned about it, um, my broadcast partner who played for 10 years professionally and you know has coached for the better part of the last 25 years says the same exact things off the air on the subject as well. And Jack clearly is in step with all things Indy 11. For those of you that are not, uh, Indy 11 has, in league play, 
One win, one loss. Jack's heard enough. And then two draws. We have had this ungodly amount of possession. We played a nil-nil draw last Saturday. We had the ball 80% of the match. We got beat 3-0 on Saturday against Oakland and had the ball for 63% of the match. Possession's good. Passing accuracy is good. Finding the back of the net, not so much. I, being a soccer neophyte compared to those two guys, Mark Lowry and Brad Hodder, I'm a bit concerned about it. Um, I liken it to almost like watching hockey. Sometimes the best shots or the best passes are shots. So you can score on a rebound, pick up some loose change. Um, I think there have been times when we have been a little uh, reluctant to actually take what would be like a, in soccer parlance, a half chance. I'm much more of the, uh, hey, you're open, shoot it, bombs away philosophy. We've had some guys been trying to set up what I think are almost kind of like two perfect passes. But again, I will defer to those that know the sport far better than me. Mark Lowry seems to think it's going to figure itself out. Brad Hodder seems to think it's going to figure itself out. So I will defer to them. Um, Indy 11 on the road at Orange County, Saturday night, 10 o'clock. No television for that one. You can catch it on ESPN+. Plus. Then uh, I am back with the broadcast next Saturday on my Indy TV. Brad, of course, alongside as well. Monterey Bay, as Indy has a streak of Western Conference opponents here to open up the season. Any more soccer conversation? Feel free. Any more sports conversation in general? The same way Jack joined the show is open to you now. 317-239-1070. Mr. Cook, let's make some folks some money today, shall we? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. I got Jimmy off guard. Check and mate by you, good sir. But we're still rolling with the plays of the day. Going to take the San Diego Padres this evening to win on the money line against the Milwaukee Brewers. Also going to take the New York Yankees on the money line against the Minnesota Twins. Rounding things out, going to lay one and a half on the St. Louis Cardinals. They host the Pittsburgh Pirates this evening. Two and three yesterday, five and seven on the week. Rolling with the plays as always here on the fan. And that's kind of all Jimmy has to play on today because there's no NBA. Nope. Do you find yourself gambling? on hockey very much no i don't uh, only time i do is if i i get a tip from any of the handful of hockey people around here which isn't much right now with brendan king now in uh, south bend with the cubs so not often but if i see something i like in the postseason i will it is literally a seven game major league baseball slate it's a getaway day it's not surprising so you have some series starting tonight like reds hosting philly that's a four gamer that starts this evening in cincinnati you've got just the two day games today in other words what i'm telling you is this um i'm not trying to go charles barkley who basically on TNT's post-game show either Tuesday night or last night basically said, hey, listen, don't worry about watching the first three, the Eastern Conference series other than Knicks and Cavaliers. The rest of them are garbage. Don't bother watching. I'm not trying to tell you that. What I'm trying to tell you is this. You know, this is not going to be the sports weekend that last weekend was because last weekend being Masters weekend and Easter weekend combined, man, you know, a lot of there was a lot of butt on couch time. Even on a on a very nice Sunday afternoon, everybody's just kicking back and watching the Masters last weekend. I I can't tell you like what are the highlighted events of this sports weekend. Obviously, first true first round games in the NBA playoffs come to mind. IndyCar in, in Long Beach is always a fantastic watch. There's Major League Baseball to be sprinkled around there too, but um, whatever that is. 
probably better sports on TV this weekend than there are tonight. So it's going to be a beautiful weather day today. Weather forecast weekend's kind of iffy. In other words, get the honeydew list out of the way tonight. Mow that yard tonight. Get that done this evening. And that way, you can kick back if the weather's kind of iffy, if it's raining, kick back and watch a little sports this weekend. I don't know why I went master's voice as I told you that. As I give you like some sage fatherly advice on the program. I said something about 40 uh, standing out to me earlier this segment. Maybe it's at the end of the last segment. In terms of it had been 41 years since the Braves had started a season 13-0 because the Rays are trying to go for it. They're down 3-1 in the bottom of the fifth. And I had an old man moment last week. Uh, I was flipping around the dial last Tuesday night. Survive in advance was on, as in the Jim Valvano 30 for 30. One of my favorites. Produced by Derek Wittenberg, and it's tremendous. Terry Gannon is great. Thurl Bailey is wonderful in that. I mean, that group had the personality to match their head coach. and, And literally, Terry does this professionally. But the interviews in that documentary are tremendous. Like, you want Thurl Bailey and Derek Wittenberg to be your best friends. In watching that documentary. It's it's tremendous. But I'm like, huh. And it was the night after the national championship game. And I, I think about the date. And then I think about, wait a minute. This is the same date as this game. And I shared this on Facebook. The reason that played last Tuesday night. Is it had been 40 years to the day there's a camera on me not one on jimmy there's not being shown on the on the uh, video feed right now there is one but when i said 40 years to the day his eyebrows went up and again he wasn't alive for that game <laughs> i was and so as i'm watching that going oh my god it's been 40 years since that happened i was six years old when that game took place Mom and dad let me stay up till 11 to finish watching the game. And I remember watching on Channel 11 in Louisville the dunk from Lorenzo Charles. I I can hear Billy Packer. They wanted on the dunk. It's Gary Bender's voice before it was Brent Musburger doing those games. You know, the Wittenberg question mark, the thing that all of us play-by-play guys do some variation of when you're on television and the picture tells the story, you know, it's Wittenberg. And you know, as, you're, as, you're, as you're reacting to the, what you are seeing happen in front of you. And I'm like, my God, that was 40 years ago that that happened. So I had that kind of uh, moment flash in front of my eyes. James, who do you have lined up for the show tomorrow? Or 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 21 hours out, am I asking you things that have not taken place in terms of pre-show planning for a day from now? There's still missiles are in the air, put it that way. <laughs> we're, we're, we're still still a lot of Colts draft talk. Obviously, we'll be inside of two weeks at that point. Uh, we know Kevin Bowen's going to stop by, continue to look at the angles of what if the Colts don't sit at four and take a quarterback? What if they take a quarterback, but they do so at three, looking at those avenues as well, and then addressing the other needs, some of the same conversations that you and I had today. Are they more focused on addressing wide receiver or cornerback in the second round? And then, of course, the final bows on what was the end of the Pacers season. And as you mentioned, it's really an era of 
sadness with how the season's ended for both the Pacers and the Colts, more so the Colts because there were expectations there at the start of the year versus the Pacers. You kind of figured yeah. this is what it would be, this but they're is, both in the same draft boat. This is as feel-good as you have about a 35-win basketball team as you have right now. <laughs> yes. Now, yeah. again, there, there are there are obviously, again, you got to guard somebody, okay? This was, hey, look at how fast they're playing. Hey, look how fun this offense is. Hey, look how good this start is. And again, for as much as there are still needs to be addressed, I firmly believe the Indiana Pacers would have been a playoff team if Tyrese Halliburton had stayed healthy. And by playoff team, I mean they'd have been playing last night or Tuesday night, but they could have been somewhere in that 7-10 to 10 range. I think that is absolutely legitimate. You know, um, I believe you and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth because, sure. as you know, it's been a revolving door, so it might be misremembering. Right. I believe you and I were on opposite sides of that fence a month ago of where we wanted the season You were team to end. tank. Right? I was team tank. Yes, I was very much team yes. playoff. Okay. And even if that meant, hey, you know, you cost yourself a couple of ping pong balls in the lottery, because again, and, and Dustin Dopiric said this earlier, this is not a team that is going to be scattershot with, we need all these draft picks. No. Again, you've got your young core largely intact. You need a piece or two. Uh, And again, you've got guys under contract on rookie deals for multiple years. And again, this team, as it's currently constructed, has $40 million to play with under the salary cap, which means you can still bring somebody in. But you have 12 players that all played some level. This is not just contract fillers. And again, the veterans, the guys like James Johnson, George Hill, are not under contract for next year. It's those two and O'Shea Brissett. If you look, if you go to, and and when I, you know, Spotrack does this stuff, or Sportrack, whatever they, I don't know how to pronounce it. Hoops Hype is where I kind of go to for my NBA salaries to have like, like that handy reference. And there is a series of players in the bottom that are just kind of, you know, having contracts stretched out. Like Jawan Morgan's making five hundred grand from the Pacers this year for not doing anything for the Indiana Pacers. Nick Stauskas is getting a cool seven hundred thousand dollars, and maybe that money's already been received. That's simply the salary cap being stretched out, but those numbers are still on the books. But twelve players under contract, all of whom were a rotational piece at some point this year, and you know, it, 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 McConnell. I'm curious to see what his future is. Again, I think he can really play. But Halliburton's your starting point guard. Is Nemhard your backup? Do you think Nemhard kind of plays this kind of hybrid one-two role where he spends some minutes when Halliburton's getting a breather and then he plays some at the two with Halliburton at times? Do you do something along those lines? Do you basically say, hey, there is 96 minutes available for us at the uh, at the one position um, you're 96 minutes at the one and two, and between the combination of McConnell, Halliburton, and Nemhard, we're going to split those minutes between those three guys, and we can keep everybody happy because, frankly, financially, in terms of 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 cap money, you can make it work. But that means that Neesmith's playing the three, and Matherin's playing the three, and oh. Buddy Heald's playing the three. And he's the other wild card in that regard because I'm not saying they're going to make calls. Maybe they will, but they will get calls. Teams will inquire about Buddy Heald, particularly teams that are in championship contention that are looking to add a veteran of his skill set that has the ability to knock it down from beyond the arc like very few in the league can. And 
that'll be fascinating to see not only the other decisions you mentioned, but what ends up happening with Buddy if he's on this roster. Not because they need to move him, but because maybe they get an offer too good to refuse for him. Yeah, and I think that's what it has to be. Like I, I would like to see TJ McConnell on this team next year. I want to see Buddy healed on this team next year. I think Tice can play. But again, I'm not sure you've got space for Smith and Jackson, let alone Daniel Tice. And again, Tice is a guy you'll get something back for because, again, he'll go be a backup center on a contending team and somebody will, again, give you you a first-round pick for him, but you'll get something of value back for him. Jimmy, I think you phrased it perfectly. I'm not looking to shop Buddy Heal, but if somebody makes me an offer, in terms of draft picks, in terms of, again, a, a a power forward, which is clearly the position of need for this team, then I'm having that conversation. Like, I think Wara is a great backup four. Neesmith, Matherin, Heald are all kind of guys that are likely playing the three. Maybe Heald's more of your two, especially if you move McConnell and say, okay, there's a little more room for that quadrant of players. Again, these are all good problems to have. The Pacers are in a far better place than were a year ago. There's a lot less maneuvering needed now than they were 12 months ago. It is time for me to maneuver my big butt out of this chair. Not that JMB is going to sit here. He'll bring in his own chair because that's kind of how he rolls for the 3 o'clock show. I'm sure he'll be great. Jimmy will have fun tomorrow with Brian No, I'll next talk to you on Tuesday in this slot on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.